Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I'm worried driving the car with the NCT test. I'm not going to give this any more credence. I'm not going to let the person win. I will not be a victim. We have nothing to put the patient onto, so they're safer on an ambulance trolley. What I did in the morning, TJ, is crack. It's like a herding. Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96 Good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope you're well and I uh, hope the week's going well for you so far. Strange weather conditions out there. They're talking about a major storm tomorrow night that's going to hit us unexpectedly. We'll be finding out from the Met men and uh, Met women a little later as to what we can expect. If it is actually going to happen, uh, we'll know more a little later. I hope you are in good form this morning. It's Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ, who's back next Wednesday. And uh, we'll be here with you tomorrow and uh, Bank Holiday Monday. So we'll be back with you again on Tuesday. PJ back in the hot seat on Wednesday. Some of the stories that caught my eye this morning. Uh, If you're lucky enough to be going somewhere lovely this weekend, the bank holiday weekend, and you're flying out of Cork Airport, 62,000 passengers will use Cork Airport over the weekend. Fantastic news. Fantastic news for the airport. But probably not such great news if uh, you're flying... Tomorrow, which uh, the uh, Niall McCarthy, managing director at the airport, says will be the busiest day of the coming bank holiday weekend. Um, Total passenger traffic this bank holiday weekend representing a 17% increase versus the same period next uh, last year. So it's great if you're going and someone's dropping you to the airport, but if there is someone dropping you or if you're collecting someone from the airport, you can expect very heavy traffic at both arrivals and departures over the next few days, but particularly tomorrow. It's great news for Cork Airport. Uh, don't know whether you saw... Well, we didn't see it, actually. This was the uh, the full moon, uh, which uh, w- w- was, was visible in many parts of the world last night, but unfortunately our cloud, uh, our summer weather, prevented any of us from seeing it. Stargazers here left disappointed as low cloud cover prevented many of us from seeing the lunar extravaganza of the Sturgeon supermoon. Um, it was actually Tuesday night, but it would have been more Wednesday night here, so last night here. Look could just be on our side, though, as a rare super blue moon is predicted for the end of the month, and it's expected to be a spectacular side, weather permitting. The first August full moon is named after the sturgeon fish that was mostly caught by Native Americans in the Great Lakes at this time of the year. And a super moon usually happens when a full moon is at its closest point to the Earth in its orbit. And when this happens, it appears slightly bigger in the sky. It's usually around 30% brighter. Someone once described it a couple of months back to me as being almost able to... You could almost imagine yourself being able to reach out and tip it if you were in, um, you know, a good big field or a a good big observation location looking up at it. It's absolutely stunning. Um, and then the super blue moon is expected to grace our skies on the 30th of August. Perfect opportunity for stargazers to see this very rare phenomenon that, according to NASA, happens on average only once every 10 years. So we'll get a look at that later in the year. Fabulous photographs in the Irish Examiner on uh, page three today of the full moon rising be- at a, just beyond a beer sign at Kaufman Stadium in Kansas City during a baseball game there on Tuesday night fantastic photograph 
of the supermoon rising over the Empire State Building in New York City. Now, this looks like it could engulf the entire Manhattan area. It's so enormous. Uh, a cable car moving towards the San Augusta neighbourhood in Venezuela with the supermoon rising there. Another picture of it in Cyprus and another picture of it uh, over Vanderbilt University's West End Tower in Nashville in Tennessee. Gorgeous pictures on page three of the Examiner. Now, lots of stuff about Donald Trump, uh, which we, we may or we may not. Uh, I'd be afraid I'd put you to sleep if I started talking about it, so we might leave that. Good news, though, uh, a heat plume is inching closer to Ireland. August 10th is what they're saying could be the big day if you're looking for big weather. Um, and more home-based news this morning. It's not good. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail, over 150 children in state care at risk. More than 150 children living in emergency accommodation at present are at risk of sex trafficking, expert groups have warned. This isn't a new story as many of you will know. Figures released to the Irish Daily Mail this week show that there are 152 youths staying in B&Bs, privately leased properties and holiday centres. There were just 48 children living in these arrangements late last year. Uh, now, anti-child trafficking group Mechpaths has spoken of real concerns that these children could be trafficked for sexual abuse. And Mara, education manager at the body, said there must be stronger controls in place to protect teenagers from being forced into exploitation. And a huge fear for parents as we get that much closer to schools reopening. Uh, Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinner says on the front of the Echo today there's stress, worry and fear out there after half of primary and two-thirds of secondary school parents said they're worried about meeting back-to-school costs for the coming academic year according to a national survey by Bernardo's. Now there was a call to make secondary school books free as primary school books are once again this year but no doubt it will fall on deaf ears. And a real thorn in my side, and it has been for decades, is the school uniform uh, situation where you have to buy the pullover, you have to buy the trousers because the crest is embedded. It can't actually be sewn on because it's actually embedded in the material. And some of these jumpers and pullovers... Uh, and trousers uh, can cost, what, 60, 60 euro, 40, 45 euro, respectively. I'd love to hear your views on that. This survey finding stress is now paramount in the back-to-school costs. So give us a shout uh, if you would like to give us a call today. It's 083 396 96 96. And if you'd, like to re, uh, if you'd like to write to us, send us an email. You can do so at opinion at 96fm.ie. A little later this morning, I'm going to read out a letter. It's a long letter. It's a very passionate letter. Uh, it's a letter that will break your heart if you know of someone in a situation like this. It's from uh, a gay man who wishes to remain anonymous. And he has taken some considerable time to write to the show to talk about his childhood and how his childhood has shaped him in so many different ways. Uh, he talks about coming out. He talks about being terrified of looking for information from his parents. And so he wants to reference uh, the protest at the library here last Saturday and particularly the books that the protesters were giving out about asking the library, insisting the library remove them. Um, and it's a, a fascinating insight into a very lonely younger life. And I think there are many people who 
may possibly be in the situation this man was in many years ago um, and perhaps parents who might be concerned that their children are now going through uh, that as well. I think that's coming up. We'll, we'll read the letter somewhere around about half past ten. I'll keep you up to date on that. Now, uh, finding childcare is a complete nightmare and people join waiting lists even before their children are born. It's a worse nightmare, though, when your provider closes and that's what has happened to Donna. Good morning to you, Donna. Hi, Gareth. How are you? Fine. Can you tell me your story? Okay, so Tuesday evening, the owner of our creche Little Paradise in Frankfield in Douglas in Cork um, came out and met me at the door and informed me that she is forced to close her creche in, on the 29th of September. She was very passionate about it. She was very emotional. Um, it is like it's going to affect so many people. There's, I think there's about 82 children in her creche. Um, I've been a parent using her creche for the last five years. I have three children who are going to the creche. Um, one who's still in the creche, the other two older two have moved on to school. Mm-hmm. Um, they've all spent their early years in Little Paradise Creche. They've nurtured, they've been nurtured there, cared for, loved, grown, developed there, and they absolutely love it. My older children still return to see their teachers and to see Tina, and like it's been the pillar of the community. Like it's it's a home away from home, you know. Mm. And and it gives you such peace of mind as well to know that your children are so it really well cared does. for there. Yeah. So uh, this this is a horrific situation when you consider that. Yeah. You know, the, the the children can attend until the 29th of September, but then there's nowhere for them to go. So where does that leave you? So yesterday, I spent seven hours yesterday phoning creches um, from Cork City to Bandon, and I was told that there's a three-year waiting list. I have my three children have been booked into creche since I was six months pregnant with them, um, and like that gave me peace of mind throughout my maternity leave that I didn't have to worry about where they were going to go when I returned to work. Um, I'm a frontline worker. I work in social care, and I absolutely love my job. Um, but I'm just really worried and stressed about September, about where that leaves me. Can I return to work? I informed my manager yesterday of the situation just so he's aware. But, um, like, I don't know what, what's going to happen. Um, like, I, we just can't see this crash closing because it's it meets the needs in the community. It's a community development issue. It's a governmental issue at this stage. Um, it's not just a local issue, like, it's a national issue. So I don't know what's going to happen. And... Um can it be kept open in any way? Well, we've been talking about it and we're hoping that somebody will step in and take it over from Tina on the 29th of September. Um, she's tried to sell it. She told us she tried to sell it numerous times, but whatever happened, um, it fell through. Um, but like, I would love to see Minister Roderick O'Gorman and other ministers step in to try and keep it this open as a grow, as a, a, like a concern, maybe a concern down the line. But like for the in the interim, the government are going to have to step up and fill the gap because like there's going to be 80 children affected and not just children. There's lots of stakeholders here. There's employers, there's children, there's parents, there's families, you know. It's 80, 80, not 18, 80 young children. No, no. Yeah, approximately 80. I think there's about 83. Wow. It must be a very big yeah, crash, it, is it? It is. It's um. It's uh, like a bungalow that's been extended, and it's 
perfect like it's a perfect setup for our children it's all the regulations are there um it's a bright building it's lovely like children love it my two-year-old boy loves little paradise he gets so excited when we pull in the gate in the mornings he knows where he's going he runs in like there's never any issues with him going in in the mornings the teachers are fantastic they light up when they see the children they keep us informed throughout the day they send us pictures of them doing their painting and coloring and you know and I, as a parent, like you said earlier, can go to work without any worry about my children. Like, mm. I know they're safe and secure, and that's priceless. And Donna, like, there's the most precious commodity ahead, that we have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, good. I'm just saying yeah. they're the most precious thing in our lives. Like, so we want to make yeah. sure that they're well cared for, and yeah. they are in, in this crash. There will be nothing more precious, that's for sure. No. Just for the from the point of view of people who listening this morning who may not know where it is, is is that the crash on the hill up to the Curraheen Industrial Estate? Yeah, yeah, that's right, it. On the left it's, hand it's side. It's perfect location, like mm. it's off the link. There's people travel from all over Cork City and County for this crash. It's it's just brilliant. Like it meets the needs of our children, of families, of employers even, like yeah, it's purpose built. If 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 I, I, yeah. I recall having a conversation with someone about it actually last year, it's a fantastic location. Uh, the facilities are just second to none. They're, they're they're amazing, and it's almost to all intents and purposes, it's almost like a small primary school, isn't it? It is. It's lovely. Um, yeah. It's brightly coloured. It's got lovely kind of cartoon, cartoon characters on the outside. It's attractive. Like you, you'd notice it when you pass it. It's lovely. It's welcoming. It's warm. It's friendly. It's everything you'd need for your child. So I, I can. It's safe. Of, yeah. Oh gosh, very safe. I've walked by mm-hmm. it many occasions because it's 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 a, a lovely walking location if you're heading up there, uh, mm-hmm. up past the the Bull McCabe's and that up that beautiful hill. Um, yeah. Is, so really, the the, the issue here. It, it it you're buying the building if you buy the business and it looks as though that could yeah. be where the problem is because it I don't think that building would come cheap probably not but like it's it's a ready-made crash like I would love to see somebody who's already running a crash to take it over who has the experience of managing a crash and to keep it up to standard the way Tina has it um and from what from what I've heard from Tina she's she'd love to see it continue as a crash like we need it. It's, yeah, it's I, needed. I'm just thinking in in the, uh, yeah, in the short term. I, I'm thinking long term. You could run into all sorts mm. of uh, purchase issues, etc. Because I I don't see that building coming uh, cheap. As I say, I, I think it would be very expensive building yeah. to buy. But to lease the building, if a group of people got together, perhaps and put a yeah. plan for the owner to go through and perhaps an offer to lease the building that might be a short-term plan has that been considered yeah i don't know i don't know the ins and outs like as i said i was only told this on tuesday evening um that we could be out in the cold on um in september so i don't know the ins and outs like that would be up to tina to answer but we're hoping like we're hoping like we we think now it's time for the ministers and the government to just you know to to meet us and to um fill the gap in the interim so that we're not left without childcare in September like there's a 3 year waiting list that's what i was told yesterday from all the crashes around so like i don't know what they expect us to do that's it's not just a handful of people it's 80 families that are going to be affected yeah and as you say people are now enrolling their children even before they're born 
Yeah, I, I did that. Like I was in there. I had them registered as Baby Scully 1, Baby Scully 2, oh, God, 3. That's, that's great planning. <laughs> yeah. And, and is it, I, I'm, I'm wondering, is it expensive, Donna? How, how much is, is the cost of putting one child in there for a full term, for a full year? Yeah, it's very expensive. Um, but, I mean, you're willing to pay that when oh, you know yeah. Yeah. that your child is going to be well looked after. It's very, very expensive. Um, the first, it took me a while to get used to how expensive it was with my first child. Um, but I've had two in there at the same time as well, which at one stage I was paying 1650 a month for mm. having two children in there full time. Um, I work full time, so I need that. I've spent six years in college studying social care. Um, so I don't want to have to give up my job. Yeah, you've got, um, you've got a big crisis on your to. hands, don't you, if this doesn't work out? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I shouldn't have to. Childcare should be is is a need in in communities. It's a need in our society, and I shouldn't have to give up work because of the lack of childcare. You know. I love the the um when when you had to bring uh one one of the kids home on a half day, <laughs> uh, and what did he say to you? What I know. So I was at work one day and I felt kind of guilty that he was in in crash all day and the weather was nice out. So I decided to take a half day from work and went up and said I'd bring him out for the day. And he was like, well, why are you collecting me? Why are you doing this? I'm missing my activities. So he asked me the next day, please don't do, don't collect me early. Like I want to be with my friends <laughs> and I want to, you know, they have their routine like and they have their structure yeah. so he knows what he's doing at every hour of the day like and he loves it. I, I, don't, like, okay, fair yeah, enough. I don't ever remember saying to my mother, I want to stay in school today. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. but like Chris just really meets yeah. them where they're at. They at their own pace. It's just a really, really lovely environment and yeah. I would love it to continue. Yeah, and hopefully it will, Donna. Let's see how this uh, plays out because as I say, um, it's such a huge crash. I mean, in in some rural schools around West Cork and North Cork, you wouldn't have as many primary school children in the building as no. this particular crash has in in Douglas. So yeah. let's let's see how it plays out. Uh, let's see if we can put the word out and see if we can get as close as we can to the minister uh, to see if we can get an opinion on on the future of this. But uh, thanks for taking our call anyway, Donna. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk to you. No again problem. Soon. Take care. Thanks very much. Bye. Thank you. That's Little Paradise. Many of you will know it if you use the hill uh, to try and avoid the traffic down there near the travel lodge, the the, the Kinsale Road roundabout. Um, you'll know it's it's a, a route some people take. And it's also up to Curraheen Industrial Estate there. Little Paradise on your left, just going up the hill. Uh, Tina doing a fantastic job there, and we'll see where we can take this. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. 083-396-9696. Thanks for the comments so far. We'd like to hear from you in relation to the topics that we're chatting about between now and 12. And the email address is opinion at 96fm.ie. Talking to Donna Scully there about the imminent closure of Little Paradise Crash. Uh, there on the Curraheen Hill uh, in, in in Frankfield. Uh, so why are child care services closing? There's a package to support child care, but it's not working, perhaps? Elaine says this is a big problem in Cork, and she joins me now. Hi there, Elaine. Hi, good morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. Um, I'm quite surprised that that's such a, a well-known and such a, a much-loved crash is closing down. But it's, it's, it's not a... Um, it, it, it probably doesn't come as a surprise, does it? 
No, look, we are looking around the country and there's so many services closing. Um, at the moment, we lost a lot of services in June and to see a large service like this um, closing in Cork, um, it, it just shows how bad the funding is for service providers. The burnout, um, in particular for Tina, I mean, I, I linked in with Tina a couple of times yesterday and early this morning, and she's completely burnt out from all of the bureaucracy that's coming down the line from the government and from government policy. So you can now start to see the government policy is failing the parents, the children, the providers. So there's now a huge issue. And until they sit around the table with the people on the ground, this is going to continue to happen. We're imploding as we speak. It's just really bad. You're, you're a creche owner yourself. I am, yes. And um, to be fair, um, in, in my business, I own a full day care in Dublin. And I'm at minus 13,000 in my bank as I speak today. And oh I didn't sign up to core funding because my fees would have been trapped at 2017 instead of 2021. And even with putting my fees up, I'm still in trouble because everything has gone up and you cannot manage your business um, the way things are at the moment. We need a substantial amount of funding put into the sector to ensure viability for all types of services. We really do. And, you know, we hear... um, our, our, our minister coming out all the time and we pumped in 207 million. Absolutely he did, but it still kept at that 0.3% GDP. We never changed, you know, on, on, we're not anywhere near the EU average. We are so far behind and it'll yeah. take a lot more money to bring us up to standard, you know? Yeah, it's, it's like a drip feed situation. I mean, it's a, it's a drop in the ocean when you consider the, 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 the the demand for places in 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 a, in a lot of the preschools around the country. Can you break down? No. The, can, can you break down the thirteen thousand euro for me? Um, the thirteen thousand. Well, I'm at a minus, so that would have meant all of my my payouts. So my rent would be six thousand a month mm. for my for my business. And then I have I've seventeen staff. Um, I have ESP. I have food bills. Um, continuous uh, insurance. I have buses on the road. You know what I mean. So. I don't know. Um, I know once the fees start coming in for August, it'll I'll just about break even. But when it comes to October, my tax bill and everything else, you know, if you've got no money in your in your, in your bank, how are you going to manage this? Mm. And I'm not the only one. I'm I'm giving mine as a, as a sample because I was one of the ones that didn't sign core funding and up to my fees, and that didn't even help me. And to sign up to core funding now for me and um, for September, I would have to go back to 2017 fees. So no matter what way you go as a provider, you're snookered. And like, if you look at the core funding that's coming in for us all in September, we got three cent extra per child an hour. Now, can you please tell me what I'm going to do with that three cent or any other provider around this whole country, what they're going to do with that three cent extra per hour? It's an actual insult it is, to us all. Pathetic. Yeah. And it's an insult to the parents because when our minister comes out and everybody else comes out from, from government and they speak about all the money they've pumped in, the reality on the ground is very different. So we had a meeting in Cork last week and we're now informing all of the parents of how dire the funding actually is for us. And you're seeing so many services that didn't close this year are closing next year because they couldn't afford to pay the redundancies this year. So they're remaining open, hoping that they will have the money to pay the redundancies. Now take into account that they will get nothing after 20 or 30 years of owning a business, they will have nothing at the end of it in the bank. They will walk away with nothing. Hopefully debt-free, but with nothing else. Can like you, what business would do that? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's it, it's pathetic, and parents are facing a, a real crisis here, where they will have to well, stop working. They'll have to work from home if they can. But not all not all parents have that have that privilege. But but that's exactly it. Like the parents don't have the luxury of staying at home. I mean, as much as our costs are high, so are the parents. Mm-hmm. Their mortgages, their bills, everything else that's going out for parents is high. And nobody's taking all of that into into account. And at this point, you know, we need to, the parents need to link in with every single provider in Cork, ask their service provider what's going on. You know, some people, there are a very small amount of service providers are, that are, are breaking even or doing slightly okay on core funding, but they may have had their fees upped by 2021 but there's a large number of us that are still at 2017 and Cork is one of the ones that having the meeting there a couple of weeks ago and talking to providers from all around um, East Cork, West Cork, everywhere and we had such a long meeting and, and good chats about how, how hard things are for them and burnout because of all of the stress and strain is one of the biggest thing that, that we're seeing across the country. We did two meetings, Dublin, we did a meeting Mayo, we're doing Donegal, Galway, Clare all next week. And everywhere I go, you're seeing, and it's women, let, let's remember this, it's 98% predominantly led sector, is it's women that are being affected. And, it, you know, it's mums that will have to probably come out of the workforce as well. And the economy is going to suffer. And it's all women that are being affected. Um. You're going to have to put up your rates now. Is that a, a fair statement? Uh, yeah, and, and I'm like we're hearing from a lot of providers. So a lot of providers are now saying that they're going to pull out of core funding to up their rates, which means the parents are now going to take the hit of lack of government funding. And so, and I'm sorry for parents, but we have to be able to, you know, remain viable and keep our businesses open in order to take children in. But like in some areas, like you're you're looking at maybe a hundred and between a hundred and twenty and a hundred and fifty euros a week for a child in order for us to remain viable if we pull back out of core funding, mm. and that's going to be put on the parents, and that's not right. Why should the parents take the hit? It's government that are getting this so wrong. So government need to meet and sit with the federation and some of its members and listen to what we're saying. We have the data. We've handed the data into the Department of Children. So we were refused one meeting there last week. We have another meeting now next week with Minister Gorman. And I really hope this time that he takes on board everything that we're saying. Because I spoke to Donna um, yesterday, that lovely parent, and she was in an awful state. And that's no way for any parent to be trying to hold down the job, look after her children and, and you know, maintain her, her life and their lifestyle and it's the same for the providers. We're doing exactly the same. So, in actual fact, the providers and the parents are now in exactly the same boat. You said that you're you're going to be talking to the minister again. Did he promise you anything the first time you talked to him? No, like we we you, it, you, there were a series of protests, and we mm. called off the last protest because he asked us to come in and meet him, and we got zero out of that meeting, absolutely zero. So there are planned closures for um, the end of September, early October. And it's not just for one day. Um, It's going to be longer than one day until we can get what we need to keep ourselves in business and maintain uh, more, you know, a lot more funding for the parents. I mean, we've we've a budget coming up now. We're hearing lots of promises. We heard the same last year. We were told it was 25% increase for parents. It never worked out at 25%. Mm. It was roughly between 10 and 15% if you were lucky. And any you know, there's a real, there's a reality, and government needs to see the reality here is that the parents and providers are all in trouble here, because we're going to hit the parents because we've no choice, we've nowhere else to go if government funding is failing us. 
So and, now we're, 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 we are bringing the parents in on board and we are informing parents. I mean, if you've been forced to recklessly trade your business because you're in a fee freeze and government literally have complete control of your business that you have opened up many years ago, you, you just can't continue that way. You look at the, the UK and like I said this before, over 4,500 services closed in the UK last year. They went to do a big protest on the 19th of March this year, which I was heading over to, and they actually called it off because government were doing a full review of all of the, the funding and everything within um, the department there as well. And at this point, you have to ask, why is a full review of maybe the Department of Children not being done of how they're getting this so wrong, you know, for us mm. and the parents and the children? I mean, children have a right to be educated. What was it and they're like, the ones that are going to lose out. What was it like during the COVID-19 crisis, Elaine? Because I know you, you didn't raise fees because you wanted to help people out there. Um, during that, look, do you know what? We were so well funded that it showed there was no stress. There was no strain. You just went in every day. You went into the classroom and you worked with your children. And there was no nothing on your back, like this hard stone that's on your back all the time, weighing you down. So there was none of that because they actually funded us so well that we were doing okay that we were like you had low numbers in your service but you kept on all your staff on your books because you were able to because of EWSS and, and so on and so forth so for all of that it showed us how a properly funded sector could actually work for the parents for the child for the provider and then as soon as that was whipped away we have all just been I mean, we're, we're, we are on our knees and, and, and I don't take that lightly. And, you know, we really, really are because funding has let us all down. I, I just, I would, I would love to hear Helen McEntee, the Minister for Justice's views on this because she has now, I think, two very, very young children. Uh, but she's not, she's not making any statements or giving any opinions on this. That meeting was in Mayfield last week. Where, where will the it meeting was, yeah. be in Cork next week? Um, I'm just waiting on one of the providers to come back and give me. So normally what we do is that they um, let us go into one of their services um, in Cork. So they were coming in from Bantry and, um, you know, Baltimore. They were coming in from all over the place last week. And there was a few away on holidays, so we're holding another one next week. And then a plan of action will be put in place. And we're doing the same. This Next week we're in Mayo, Donegal, Clare mm. and Galway. And then the plan of action. Um, will be put in place then as to where we're going. But the general consensus is let's not just do one day because we're getting nowhere. Let's yeah. do a two or three day. And if we get nothing after the third day, we remain out for five days and we remain out until we get this resolved. You know, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to put that on our parents. You know, and we shouldn't have to. There was um, a, a fabulous um, parent out speaking on our behalf and on the behalf of the parents as well. And I'm linked in with her um as well, Sinead O'Moore is, is her name and she's been on Ireland AM and everything um, speaking on our behalf and she can see what's going on. She's listened to the parents, she's listened to the providers and she's seen, she, she can get anything up to 200 emails a day from parents giving them their woes of what's going on in the sector and you know we have to educate the parents to understand that it's not our fault. Mm -hmm. This is down to government funding forcing us to recklessly trade businesses and force us out of business and to be fair if that's what government want, if they want all of us lovely small and medium services gone, the family run ones gone, then tell us. Like, tell us that's what you want. And then at least then we can start winding down businesses and decide to go and do something else. But when you're being forced out of business and nobody is doing anything about it, and then we're told about sustainability funds and everything, trust me, very few providers will go near a sustainability fund. 
Because once you do, you cannot get a mortgage, you cannot get bank loans. It, it completely damages all of your financial vibe. You know, anything mm-hmm. that you need financially wise to help you with your business is gone for at least five years. Like, who wants to be in business to go for a sustainability fund? Yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, and yeah. the, the other thing I suppose yeah. is, like Minister Gorman and his department have said clearly that they're not seeing closures. So we were on to Tusla there um, last week, and like we, we got a, a graph of um, we one of our friends did it first, and from 2017. Can I read this out? You do you mind? Do I have yes, time to yes, do this? Yes, of course you have. Yeah. So, yeah, 2017 there was 4,483 services. 2018 there were 4,472. 2019, there were 4,408. 2020, there were 4,317. 2021, there was 4,195. 2022, there was 4,118. 2023, May, there was 4,062. And I can guarantee you, they have they have not included June's closures. So that's 300 closures or, that, that are on record, yeah. On, on record that mm. we know of. And we also know that there's a lot of providers when they close their doors. They just walk away and they don't inform the Department of Children. They don't inform Tusla. And we're also seeing that this year, even though we asked providers to inform the necessary bodies so that we could get the data. But we know behind the scenes. We, we Look, we were in the AV room in, in Leinster House there a couple of weeks. So we were in there for two weeks in a row. And we spoke to different t- TDs all around the country. And all of them are saying, oh, I'm seeing it in my local constituency. So if they're seeing it in their local constituencies, there must be a problem. Does, uh, do you think Roderick O'Gorman has any idea of the effect that this will have on the young children? That that if services are to close and young children will be forced to stay at home because there's no other option, that will have a huge negative effect on the, the psychological 100%. and emotional growth of the young children. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's so important that the, the children are, you know, are going into the, these services at an early age, you know, that we nurture children and that's our job. And that's what we love doing. But unfortunately, we've been taken away from that to become administrators of government funding. You know, we're micromanaged and then the children are losing out and then we're struggling to get staff. So I looked at Indeed this morning. I've had an ad up in Indeed now for three and a half months. No bites whatsoever. There are 700 jobs advertised for childcare. As we speak this morning on Indeed, that's just on one we didn't look at jobs.ie or any of the others. And 350 of them are based in Dublin because we cannot get staff. So and we're closing down. Like You're seeing rooms closing yeah. as well. It's not just services. You're also seeing rooms, um, like even in my service, I, I, I will be forced to bring down my numbers if I don't get staff. So we're all being forced to you know, reduce our numbers at all times because of staff. I mean, there's a huge problem that the Department of Children are just ignoring. I, I don't know. I don't understand it. We did a report. It was outsourced and it was done by a wonderful company. They did a fabulous report for us. We sent it into the Department of Children. It is very clear where the problems are. I, but yet they're not listening. Yeah. This must be taking a toll on, on your health. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to watch. I, I mean, I spoke with Tina yesterday. And for me, that was heartbreaking. And then I spoke with Donna, the parent. Mm. And I found that really difficult because... You want to do right by your parents and you want to do right by your children. But if funding isn't there, you cannot keep a business open without correct funding. I mean, burnout is a massive thing across the whole country sector, you know, the sector. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're seeing all of these and it's predominantly women 
really struggling with anxiety, not sleeping at night time. I mean, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Bing, here we go again. Another day of worry, worry, worry. You know, um, my, my service is closing up tomorrow for two weeks. And in that whole two weeks, I'm working the whole time trying to find staff, scramble for um, staff for September and try and keep everything going. And I'm not the only one. There's hundreds of us in this position today. You know, that we we're either making decisions. I actually got a text in from a parent, not a parent, sorry, provider this morning. She's open 50 years and she has her daughter in now running the service with her as well and, and four other girls. And she sent me a message this morning telling me she's closing her service. She's given notice to parents. Gosh. She said she cannot do it anymore. She can't. She has no money in her bank for the tax for October. She's no money to pay holiday pay. Same as me. Same situation. Mm. You know, and uh, she's in Dublin. She's based in Dublin and she's gone. She's given notice to parents today. Okay. Elaine, will you keep in touch with us in relation to the, I will the, the next meeting and we'll give it, we'll give, we'll, we'll make yeah. sure everyone knows about it as soon as the, the location and day has been decided on. Thanks so much for talking Thanks to us this million. morning. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. Bye. Bye bye. That's Elaine Dunn there, Chair uh, of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. And uh, we'll talk more about that during the morning. In relation to the crash story, we've been talking to Donna Scully and also to Elaine there. Uh, Bernie says, I have a family member working in a creche and she loves it. I just don't like this idea that people like Elaine have to run childcare like a business. We have to find a better way of doing this. I mean, these are our future. Well, I think we need more money, that's for sure. And I think we need more respect from the people who claim to be the, the, the leaders of the country. Although I haven't seen any leaders lately. Jared um, says, I hear that Ballyfahan Secondary School is opening a creche this year. Brian O'Connor says the government should listen. When you go up against mothers and their children, you know you have effed up power to the mothers. Also, another caller says Helen McEntee, this is the Minister for Justice, won't be worried about childcare for her children. There's a creche in the Doyle. Well, that's new to me. Wow. That charges rates below the going rate. A bit like the pints they sell in the Doyle bar, I would imagine. Anyway, I just, I, I, I mentioned that because obviously there's been a lot of news in recent times that uh, Helen McEntee uh, was on maternity leave and that now she's back working and, uh, yeah. I I have to confess here, um, I suppose maybe I'm of, of an age, I, I didn't realise the situation was so dire. And, you know, there is a common myth out there that when you're running uh, a little creche or a big creche, uh, that you have a little empire on your hands that makes a lot of money. And that is not true. And when you listen particularly there to Elaine, Elaine runs her own creche business, but she's also running a national support service for creche owners and facilitators. But I'm absolutely shocked. And it, it, it does. It all comes back down to the government and to the leaders. There are no leaders in this country. Let's face it. Our, our TD, our T, there are some great TDs. They should effectively be ministers. Um, I spoke to one of them yesterday, Thomas Gould. Um, he should be a minister. Uh, a lot of the people who are ministers, they just don't really want to know. They'll agree to meet you. They have a very packed diary and their PA and their secretaries and their facilitators and their uh, their coaches. More coaches than Kent Railway Station, some of these guys have. They'll meet you. Minutes will be made of the meeting and pretty much that's it, as Elaine mentioned there. So they're hoping to meet Roderick O'Gorman, the Minister for Children, again very, very shortly. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. But um, I don't know. I remember days when politicians 
did have a genuine ear and they leaned heavily in your direction and you know for for all the stuff that he perhaps was questioned about and a lot of the time when his behaviour was questionable. Uh, Bertie Ahern, back in the day, did a lot of good work for the people in his constituency and, you know, also in his early period as Taoiseach of the country. <laughs> now I'll be criticised for that one, that's for sure. As indeed did Jack Lynch when he was the Taoiseach back in the 1970s. He was probably one of the best Taoiseachs that we had uh, down through the years. Anyway, if you'd like to comment on that, it's a big story this morning, 083 396 96 96. If you're a mum and you're facing that possible crisis of having to give up your job because you can't get your ki- your children into creches or pre-child ch- child care facilities, let us know. Uh, you can email us or you can text us and WhatsApp us 0833 96 96 96. Now, the old fellow politician of the past, I was mentioning him there uh, just before the break, um, had a pretty thick skin. But if we want more women, more people of colour, more young people, should we be giving our politicians a bit more privacy? Joining me now is Councillor Colette Finn. Morning to you, Colette. Good morning, Gareth, and good morning to your listeners. Um, just before we talk about, you know, politicians and, and privacy, what what do you make of the conversation there in relation to uh, crash facilities that are closing down um, and will continue to close down because they're, they're just not being listened to by the minister? Well, I, I suppose part of the difficulty uh, in the past has been that there's been so few women in the political system. And so who's minding the children never really got asked because most guys will have someone at home juggling all the balls. Uh, and as w- women move out of the home and into the workplace, um, you, you know, the system that has been set up over the years hasn't been properly funded. And it's also been a private model, which is problematic as well, um, because if we ran our schools as as private entities they'd be seeing the same arguments so I think we should have a publicly funded uh, childcare system, it's a Green Party policy uh, but our coalition partners and other political parties maybe have different views so that's the system that has evolved because there hasn't been enough voices in the political arena arguing that we need to have a properly funded childcare system Right, okay, thank you for that now uh, we're talking about trying to get young, more young people into politics and I was reading an article there last week where uh, many politicians are not going forward again for election because they just feel that their lives have been wrongfully claimed like as, as you know, public commodities and also because they've been put off by the level of social media criticism that's been aimed at them. Uh, do you find yourself in a situation where, where that's happening you? Well, I suppose uh, the way I approach it is that we need to have good politicians. We need to have young people. We need to have women. We need to have men. We need to have gay, straight. So we need um, good people who are willing to put themselves forward. Now, when you're in the public eye, and you may know this yourself, you know, you do lose out on on an element of privacy in the sense that you're recognisable, you're known, uh, you can be targeted. Uh, And so that's why I'm calling for a system where as much as possible you can protect people, but also that you have a system where politicians are approachable. So I'll give you an example. 
I was up in Farren Ree and uh, the Muslim community there invited all the, the local councillors to Iftar, which is their feast that they have during Ramadan uh, at the end of their fast. And one of the comments that was made by a West African um, Muslim was saying about how he'd never met a politician, that um, they all go around in armoured cars and, he- and heavily fortified vehicles. So I don't want that to happen in Ireland. I want us that we have an open society that we can disagree with one another and a bit like the situation with the library it's absolutely reprehensible that a small number of people can close down a library Uh, and I think this is what the argument is about uh, developing a safe system for public discourse around very difficult issues I mean I was listening to the previous speaker and absolutely I know myself uh, trying to juggle childcare trying to pay for it We need to develop a system that works for everybody. And the way you do that is through democratic politics. Well, I agree with you in, in about the, the protests. I also would, would say at this stage that I, I think protests outside the homes, the private homes of politicians, is, is, is I mean, that should not be allowed to happen. How do you feel about that? I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, there you have to allow a private space for anybody anyone in the public eye that is their safe space you know because everyone is a human being at the end of the day and if you have arguments or disputes or you know uh, very fractious meetings you need to be able to go home and recover um, and your family is there as well who are not actually involved in, in in that public space that you're involved in and it's their home too so absolutely, I think the practice of pro- protesting outside anyone's home, whether it's a migrant, whether it's a politician, whether it's uh, someone else in the public eye, is absolutely sh- we should set the the limits on that. That it's just it's just not acceptable in a democracy, and it shouldn't be happening. Okay, Colette, nice to talk to you this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Gareth. Thank, Thank you. you. That's Councillor Colette Finn there from the Green Party for Cork South West. Poignant photograph on the front of the Echo this morning of Vera and Max Babiec, uh, both Ukrainian, son and mom living in Donorail with uh, a photograph of um, Vera's late husband and Max's father, Mikola. Uh, and Sarah Horgan reports that uh, this Ukrainian mother of one has finally been able to lay her soldier husband to rest after almost a year of uncertainty about his whereabouts. It's heartbreaking. Vera, who lives in Donorail and originally hails from Mariupol in Ukraine, had no idea if Mikola, her partner, was dead or alive following an explosion in a Russian-controlled det- uh, d- detention facility in July of last year. The 33-year-old and her son Max fled to Cork with her sister and mother early last year to escape the unrest. And despite their agonisingly difficult situation, eight-year-old Max continues to thrive in the local primary school. The pair only recently arrived home from burying the man they described as their hero. And Vera is holding a photograph of uh, Max's father and her partner, Mikola, um, in their home. Beautiful photograph, but heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Um, And perhaps now that uh, they've been able to finally lay him to rest after almost a year will bring about some peace of mind. But I'm sure that... um, The sadness will continue and continue, especially when you're so, so far from your home and from your family and that you've just lost the person that you love the most. Now, 
if you'd like to give us a shout 083 396 96 96 that's our text on WhatsApp number uh, WhatsApp number and uh, you can email us as well opinion at 96fm.ie it's bad enough trying to find a house at the best of times if you're looking to buy or to rent but it's harder to do it every year year after year uh, when people stereotype you as a party animal. So who are the party animals? Well, apparently they're students and they've been looking for homes all summer and they're finding it damn difficult to try and find resident, residential um, locations. Aoife O'Brien, who's UCC's Student uh, uh, Union Welfare Officer, is joining me on the line. Hi there, Aoife. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. This is probably the busiest time of the year for you as uh, the welfare officer, is it? Yeah, it is. Well, over the summer, it does get a bit hectic. And for the first couple of weeks, I would assume it will be fairly busy as well. But yeah, accommodation queries every day in my email. People are getting stressed as it comes closer to the academic year. So it's very justified. I understand that it's very stressful and that's my job to help them and give them all the resources they can get in UCC. Which is rapidly becoming one of the most popular universities in the whole country, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's a great college and we have great services. So our one downfall is accommodation, unfortunately, though. We just don't have enough around and it's just too expensive for students. How long does it take to find accommodation? I presume students start looking the minute they decide they're going to go to UCC. Yeah, it's kind of a complicated one, really, if you're coming into first year or if you're coming back for your second, third or fourth year, really. If you're used to UCC and you're already in you would kind of know through word of mouth to start looking around Christmas time so when you come back from your Christmas holidays to start ringing landlords straight away because if you're waiting around Easter time all your responses will be oh my my house has already been filled for the last couple of months you're way too late but if you're coming in in first year it's kind of different because you rely a lot on the lottery for UCC accommodation so it's kind of up to the, lo- the hands of the lottery then and then there's there's three rounds of lottery and if you don't get it then you're kind of waiting for the accommodation office to find you something when people start dropping out or when CAO offers come out so there's a very big time frame there from Christmas to September where people are crazy looking for houses really. And UCC would have a lot of their own designated um, residential units wouldn't they? I, know, I see them anytime I'm passing the Mercy Hospital there. Yeah, UCC has quite a few complexes now for students to go in. Um, they re- they range in prices as well, which is great. And they're a great um, resource to have for students, especially first years coming in or international students that want to live with the same kind of people. And um, I say like our one downfall with that is that we're lacking kind of variation in them. Um, they're all almost six grand and up, whereas I think there needs to be more lower price um, lower price accommodation that UCC provides for students that just can't afford six grand a year, which is very justified. Yeah, but that six grand a year would be, say, from <laughs> September to May, would it be? It would be nine months, yeah, a nine-month yeah. contract. Nine months, so six grand <laughs> over nine months. Uh, let's see, can you do the maths on that? Are you doing a maths degree? <laughs> <laughs> Maths first thing in the morning is not a good thing for me. But it's, it is, it's very, very expensive when you consider that that's just the rent. You've then got to, you've got to pay for yourself to get through day and night from then on, don't you? Yeah, a lot of students would work as well 
part-time or they would have SUSE grants or there's a, like a lot of different funding that you can get through the university, which is great. And through the student union, we have a few funds. But regardless, it's still way too expensive. It impacts student experience, having to worry about paying the rent and paying your fees and having to work alongside your degree and having to get good grades. It does impact people's welfare. I'm just doing the maths here. That's about €200 Euro per week during the university year. Um, that's a lot of money, isn't it? Oh, it definitely is. And that's why it's just not an option for most students. And they start looking for private houses around UCC, which is just, it's hectic trying to find a landlord that will take you, especially if you're a first year. And a lot of them only look for postgrads or females, which is just insane to me. Or trying to find kind of dig situations. Digs are getting very popular recently as well. Mm. Uh, is it fair to say that first year is seen as the party year? Um, I suppose in as my experience of a first year, I did find it hard to get private accommodation. I did enter the lottery and I didn't get it, unfortunately, but I was eventually sorted out. But there was no way I was getting any private accommodation. I just think you're seen as a baby, maybe, and mm. that you will get a lot of help from the landlord in that kind of way. But I think that student perceptions among landlord is good at the moment. We had a really great rag week last year with the union that students were perceived very well by the residents around UCC. So I think we're on the up in a good way. <laughs> mm. And there's a lot of building going on, particularly there uh, crossing over onto the Lee Road. I noticed there are a couple of big, big accommodation um, developments underway. Is that helping with student accommodation? Yeah, there's a lot of building going on right now around UCC, but the issue is there is that it's private purpose-built student accommodation. So they can put a very high price on it and have luxuries that really students don't really need, like jeans or Xboxes and mm. like even double beds and stuff are costs that can be cut to have a more affordable price range for students. But when it's a private corporation looking to build and make money basically make a profit those are all the prices are insanely high for those new buildings that's going up that are private and how many just off the top of your head Ava if how many students are coming in from beyond the cork boundary have you got a lot of have you got a lot of students coming from all over ireland oh we do i don't know the amount now but mm. uh, just being around campus Everybody that I meet, you'd see people from all corners of the island, really. And beyond. And from abroad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We get a lot of international students in as well. And what would they typically be studying? Would it be everything? Would it be medicine? Would it be Celtic studies? International students? Oh, yes. it would be everything. Everything. We would get everything, yeah. But the issue is there is that, like, I'd say a lot of them aren't aware of our housing crisis and cost of living crisis situation. So they come in with very low budgets, not knowing what the situation is. And I, I get a lot of queries from international students. So I'd say they get kind of a shock when they come over. And it, it's so hard to sort something out before when they're abroad looking in, into the Irish rental market. Very hard for them to try and figure it out without extra help, which is why I'm there. And they can mm. get on to me if 
<laughs> sure, but I'm sure also you're a shoulder to, to lean on for many of them because despite the fact that it's it's such a huge multicultural environment in university, I'm sure it must be a cultural shock for many of them who are arriving from countries all over the world. I can imagine it would be, yeah, sure. We have a lot of resources when it comes to that as well, like clubs and societies in UCC are such a, an amazing resource to have and I would hope that international students would feel welcome enough to join them and having UCC accommodation, if they did get into it, living with other Irish people might be a nice introduction to the way we live over here as well, mm. that they might have a good student experience, a good Irish student experience, but that they feel integrated and welcome as well. Yeah. Do most city students, Cork City students, live at home or, or do they also avail of the residential, um, the, 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 the apartments and, and flats? I'm not, I don't have any numbers on that, but just from my own student experience and from meeting people from the city, I would say the majority of them that I met would have lived with their parents and drove or got public transport into college every day. Honestly, it wouldn't make a whole pile of sense to be spending like 600 euro a month on accommodation if you live 10 or 15 minutes down the road. It just doesn't, it isn't viable if you're a student mm. trying to by yourself and I my final question and this is I, I, I suppose you know when you think of back to school back to college the expenses and, and fees involved do some students find when college resumes in September October that they still haven't been able to find accommodation where where does that leave them yeah so I was actually talking about this the other day it happened to me in first year I didn't have accommodation for the first month of my first year of college, which was super scary as somebody that was coming into a completely new environment. I didn't really know the supports that were available to me. So I would just say to anybody that's in that same boat that they're really struggling to find accommodation and they, it comes to August, September, the end of this month, and they're really panicking to just relax because something will come up. It, the UCC accommodation office is an amazing resource that we have. They sorted me out. You just have to go into their office or give them an email and say that you're struggling to find accommodation and you're put on a list and something will be found for you once people start dropping out. It was tough commuting for the first month from Clonakilty, about an hour on the bus every morning and not being able to really avail of those clubs and society services when mm. they kind of do events it's a little bit isolating but i did get sorted and i would hope that everybody that gets on to that office would get sorted as well if they're in the same boat well you're offering a great resource even nice to talk to you and thanks for joining us this morning no hassle thanks a million thanks a lot good luck with the start of the new season at ucc eva o'brien there ucc's uh, student union welfare officer. Now John Bohan uh, reports on the front page of the Echo this morning um, Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinner saying there's a lot of stress worry and fear out there after half of primary and two thirds of secondary school parents have said over the last couple of weeks they are very worried about meeting back to school costs for the coming academic year. This is according to a national survey by Bernardo's, which reveals some very, very worrying statistics. Katrina Toomey is joining me this morning now. Good morning, Katrina. Can you hear me, Katrina? Yes, I can. I can hear you. That's fine. Lovely to chat to you this morning. This is very, very worrying Hi. because... Um, and when you consider, I mentioned the school uniform issue, which just, just drags on year after year after year. Um, but apart from the school uniform, 
issue, you're now looking at all of the overheads, all of the, 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 the costs of going back to school and how it's now affecting cost of living increases, isn't it? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi. Two more, 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 more. Um, sorry, Gareth. You're you fine. One yes, of course. Of course I can. There's no problem there. Um, it's a very interesting... Uh, the the findings certainly are, are um, alarming. According to the Bernardo survey, the average cost of the basics needed for a fourth class pupil is three hundred and twenty euro, nine hundred and seventy two for a first year pupil, and then if you go to fifth year, it's going to cost you eight hundred and sixty three. Uh, the uh, Katrina said that the government must look at this and take it seriously. Not everyone has the luxury of having a big wage. The cost of living and the costs associated with going back to school are exorbitant. Now, when you consider at the moment that up to 30% of customers of the electricity and gas services are behind uh, their payment demands. They can't afford to pay, so they have fallen into arrears. Put on top of that the cost of trying to get two, three, four children back to school in three weeks' time. And that will give rise not just to stress, worry and fear, but a lot of sleepless nights, I would imagine, as well. Uh, now, I know Katrina Toomey is up to her eyes there, so hopefully we'll get a couple of minutes with her. Are you there, Katrina? I'm here. I'm sorry about that. That's just, quite all right. Just, yeah, no, 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 no need to apologize whatsoever. <laughs> it, this, this, is, this has been an annual thing, but it's getting worse, isn't it? You know, it, it does happen every year and we always say the same thing, you know, it should be looked at. But I believe, you know, that, you know, people, you know, they get stung really hard, like when it comes to going back to school. But even people on a good wage now are finding it very difficult to manage because the cost of living is bringing everybody into the one place. And that is not being able to afford everything. You can only live, you know, within your means. And if your means don't stretch to what the cost of living has ha, has put on you know, your budget, um, well, then you can't do it. And people are finding it very, very, very hard. They're watching every euro, every cent just to, you know, make ends meet. And again, when it comes to uniform time, we know like that we'll get a, a, a lot of people like that will come because they've spent their money on uniforms and mm-hmm. sacks and jackets and shoes, you know, it's the whole and the books, the sacks, you you name it, the whole lot. So always, you know, I, I, there's a, everything peaks in, in penny dinners when that happens, when it's coming back to, to school. And August is the month it starts for us. Then, you know, people are cr- for help, you know, saying that mm-hmm. they bought something and now they're down like, and they haven't enough money to put food on the table. And sure, that's understandable. They're a yeah. very... You know, everybody knows somebody now who's struggling at the minute and most people will tell even like those that are earning a good wage, two jobs, maybe three jobs and those, by the time they pay their mortgage, by the time they pay their bills and their their petrol money and, and everything, they're left with very little for all those extras that are needed. You mm. know, kids need them for school. No parent wants their child to go back to school without so that the struggle will be on. Yeah. As you were saying there, Every, every mother particularly, because I suppose the vast majority of mothers are the people who get their young sons and daughters ready for school again in September. A lot of fathers, of course. But you cite one woman as an example here. She has set aside money for a school uniform, but when she went in to buy it, it was €29 Euro more than what she had expected. And that extra yeah. sum of money was her budget for basics such as milk and bread. 
as simple as that. She was gutted. And she just said, what am I supposed to do, you know? And she just didn't. So we said, it's okay, we'll help you out. And we know she has other children, she has other stuff to do. And she went with the secondary first. And um, we just said, look, we'll help you out until you get through it. Mm. And we'll take that, you know, so that even if you have to pay extra again, when you go for the other stuff, that at least you'll have food. And that's all we can do. You know, we can, we can help. But it's practical help that we give and it's something that people are very grateful for, especially when they find like that they have no money for to shop. Yeah, and I, I heard of two specific cases last week where uh, two parents have decided that they have no choice but to go into arrears with their electricity and gas bills over the summer in order to afford the school uniforms and the school books. That happens a lot. That happens with lots of things. If anything comes up, you know, life isn't plain sailing for everybody at all. And there's always something. And if it's not, you know, if it's not the school, it's Christmas, it's Easter, it's exam time. It's, you know, like there could be an illness in the family, a death in the family, the cost of, you know, putting children on school buses. Those that live in rural areas like should that cripples an awful lot of people as well, especially when they have more than one yeah. going to school. And you know, so it does cripple them. Yeah, and then there's always the unexpected dentist or doctor's bill, isn't there? Always. There's always something. Yeah. Like even if you if you have to go to the pharmacist, if you have a small baby to buy a bottle of Calpol, that's your four litres of milk, five litres yeah. of milk. Do you know, this is the way people are thinking of things like that. Everything they spend could be spent on, do you know, 10 euros might buy them a chicken mm-hmm. and a bit of veg, a dinner, do you know, so they're thinking that way and that's kind of what people are being reduced to now at the minute. We know like through the, over the last number of years how difficult things are for people but this year, for some reason, it seems to be much harder so the cost of living is impacting everybody and I, I think that overall the whole package has to be looked at to see what's driving people into this despair because if you can't pay your bills and if you can't get your stuff for your children going back to school and if you can't put food on the table, you're in despair, make no bones about it. So seriously, the government need to tackle this head on. And for those that are working, right, they shouldn't have to be struggling like this. They're mm-hmm. out doing an honest day's work, an honest week's work for, for pay, you know. So mm-hmm. like, and they are. We have enough lot of Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. People that are work. We have some people that come to us for a sandwich for their lunch. They haven't given a lunch, going mm. to work, and they're working. Yeah, and and you know they're embarrassed by it, they're ashamed by it, but they just haven't the three, four, or five euros, whatever it might cost them, or even if they have to make it at home, they mightn't even have the money for to buy the bread and the bit of butter to make a sandwich. And sure, people have to be fed. You can't you can't work unless you know, and um, and, and that you're good in your belly. Yeah, well, I, 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 I don't understand why school principals continue to be so authoritative when it comes to the precision of school uniforms. Why you can't sew the crest on, but the, because obviously the crest in many schools is embedded in the actual uniform, so you have to buy the uniform, and the prices well, of the, the uniforms are exorbitant. The, 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 the school principals and the teachers and all the staffs, you know, in all the schools, they're actually all very, very good. They, they do an awful lot, but... Like, again, it's probably changing a mindset that they're left change. You know, maybe they're not able to change it. I don't know for whatever reason. But it, I suppose for me, I'd say get rid of all of them. Like, you know, yeah. uh, you don't need it. Like, you're, the, you mean, you mean uh, the, 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 the strict right. demands in terms of uniform and protocol and buying uniforms? Oh, for God's sake, like, you know, that's, you know, like, when, when mine were going to school, you know, like, one, I remember one time, you know, I was saying, I cut out the crest off one jumper and stick it onto a plain jumper that I bought, like, but that didn't work, you yeah. know, no matter how neat the, the stitching was, you had to have the jumper with the school crest on it, so I know what people are going through, you know, for the sake of, you know, you could have bought the crest, are, and and so on, and it's it's kind of cheaper, like for people. But I don't know. I I can't I can't talk on that one because I'm very passionate about like if you can get a, if you can get a pants for ten euros, mm. why force someone to get one for thirty euros? Yes, you know? absolutely. Okay, I, I just don't I don't believe in that kind of thing at all. And again, like that's not anything to do with the schools. That's the price of the actual uniforms so the government should be maybe subsidising the uniforms for school going children if school going children have to wear uniforms Thanks Katrina always good to talk to you thank you Thanks and great to hear you Gareth thanks a million Thanks so much Katrina thank you that's Katrina Toomey there from Penny Dinners that story by the way if you're interested in reading the Bernardo's report uh, is covered by John Bohane on the front of the Echo today Uh, Ralph um, Ralph Eagle from the uh, Irish Independent yesterday was telling us the great news that it's 99.9% certain that Bruce Springsteen will be back for two gigs and they will be the only gigs that he will do in Ireland next year and they will be in Parky Cueve which is wonderful the dates Ralph mentioned were 16th and 18th of May so what that means is that there's a spare date in between there and I have a funny feeling that he'll do that date as well so he'll do three in a row because tickets for this are going to sell out like like just flashes of lightning and uh, I would say he could do five gigs if uh, if the, the the demand is there, and I think it will be. But what has now happened is interesting, and uh, I noted this as well last night. Margaret, good morning. 
Good morning. How's it going? I'm fine from one boss fan to another. I think I was kind That's of... That's I was checking out, I think, what you were checking out last night. Tell me more about it. Okay. Um, we know the way accommodation situation goes for, um, for you know, like um, concerts like, um, I suppose, Bruce Springsteen or any of these um, concerts that have sold out, like Coldplay or any of these are, you know, Swift Taylor in Dublin, right? So mm. um, my husband said to me yesterday, oh, do you know what? Bruce Springsteen's coming to Cork. It's been 10 years. I want to get tickets. We want to go. So with that brave um, idea, I decided, you know what? I'm going to get on the bandwagon. I'm going to book the accommodation. Mm. So I went through booking.com. I went through Tarago. I went through every um, site and the only place I could get accommodation was Maryborough Hotel in um, Douglas. Um, three nights 1,110 euro um, I rang the Clayton Hotel in Cork um, which is formerly the Silver Springs I says listen guys um, you're allowing me to put in my um, card and you're allowing me to um, go through the transaction for um, to pay for the hotel and then there's this red um, writing coming up underneath sorry etc etc so I rang the Clayton Hotel and I said um, oh we're really really sorry we, ha- we haven't released those rooms yet because we haven't had a price mm. okay so I rang the, um, well, do you know, the do you know what I might have, Margaret I might just say let's steer away from just particular hotels there's absolutely no problem giving the details but it's just that prices will fluctuate and there are probably hotels out there who haven't done this yet but no no I'm, I'm fully with you on this but I think rather than get into the particulars of the, the hotels themselves let's just talk about the whole the whole concept uh, uh, around accommodation on those dates can't get accommodation um, booking.com is booked out um, like when I they took my um, card and said oh sorry most of the hotels were sorry in the end I rang the hotels mm. and um, from my understanding when a lot of the rooms aren't being released because they haven't got they, they don't know the prices yet Right. so um, obviously I have a young child and obviously I want to get a child minor in the hotel and obviously myself and my husband we're planning ahead now we, we don't have guarantees with tickets but we're hoping we get tickets like anyone else on this planet but the prices of hotels are 400 euro a night um, in Cork for those right. nights that's okay. the price and um, by the way can I just reassure you you're not doing anything wrong by naming them but it's just obviously there are so many hotels in Cork and they'll all be different prices and we'll get kind of bogged down in, in details of monies and that do you know what would be very interesting and I might ask you to do this if you have a minute and get back to us or we might do it ourselves if you just have a look at the prices for those particular dates on booking.com Okay, and see if booking.com will actually allow you to book a room for a particular price uh, in one of the hotels that you say uh, have basically said that they have blocked bo- they've blocked booking on the sites. Um, I I actually have. Can I just say to you, there? Yeah. I actually booked the Maryborough Hotel for um, my child and um, the two of us. One thousand one hundred and ten. Obviously, with Booking. dot com, um, you pay later. So yeah. I did book that. Okay. Yeah. Um, from what I know, because I spoke to the Imperial, they actually allowed their bookings to go ahead, but everyone else is holding on to their tickets because they haven't got prices yet. Right. I rang the River Lee Hotel, and and I'm just saying this: they're taking a list. Right. And they're going to go through the list. That's what's happening. Right. Okay. Fine. Yeah, but it's 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 a pity, really, isn't it, that we have a, a kind of a I, I don't mean Bruce Springsteen now is seventy three and his wife is seventy. She's on the guitar yes, behind yes, him. Laugh. They look fantastic together. But you know, yeah. I'm sure we'll get a chance to see him in in many years to, over many years to come. But 
I just feel that it's such a lovely surprise and here we go again when we're trying to now put money aside for something very, very special. The legend comes to Cork um, and, you know, they're now going to jack up the prices. Many of the hotels, I don't know which hotels will do it, but many of the hotels no doubt will look at the opportunity and grab it and run with it. But, um, yeah, I I would say we'll get more calls on this, Margaret, but good luck with uh, the bookings. I hope... um, uh, well, I, I've no idea either because um, we're, we're all in the same boat here. I was looking on site last we night. We are completely. Yeah. And come here, can I say that um, there's no guarantee that we get tickets. So no. I covered myself by doing booking the whole nights, the 16th, 17th and 18th. Yeah. And this morning I spoke, I will say that um, I did speak to the Imperial and they said they allowed their tickets to sell. And I did speak to the River Lee and they, I did ask them to give me an idea what kind of a price I'd pay. Um, but they said it's a bank holiday weekend and they said that I would be talking in the range in the range of about 1,150 for three nights so it's the same as the Maribor even though I'm looking at the Maribor and I'm thinking it's very expensive but now when I'm comparing um, the River Lee Hotel telling me the same Maribor isn't that dear after all really right yeah compared to what um, they're telling me yeah and what you're doing is perfectly perfectly and and I would say keep doing it because you know um, there, there will be people coming from all over the world, Ireland. I'd say, you know, yeah. people coming home okay, to yeah. Ireland and using the time as their summer holidays just to see this amazing concert. Um, it, yeah, uh, completely. On a, on a similar note, a friend of mine uh, had booked, I think, I can't remember which concert it was. Uh, what was the big concert in Crow Park there recently? I was having a kind of a senior it's moment here. Taylor Swift, is uh, it? No, it was, was it the, um, Taylor, the Coldplay? Coldplay, yeah. Um, yeah. They no. It was uh, this was last year. Sorry, it doesn't matter what the concert was. He okay. booked a hotel um, close to the venue. Uh, he got it for a reasonable price because cleverly he got in ahead of the rush. But then he got a phone call okay. back from the hotel to say that I uh, heard that. Yeah, he he had double booked that the hotel had double booked. Should I say, and that they wouldn't be able to facilitate his booking. So they said, if you would like to go away and come back, maybe uh, and book again. Unfortunately, we'll. We'll see if we can facilitate you. He tried to rebook. Absolutely and the, shocking. The, the price of the room was about five times more than he'd originally planned on Jesus. paying for. You know, and that's there are some hotels out there that will do that. But I, I think, in fairness, hopefully, keeping the cork spirit in mind that uh, our hotels will, you know, they'll be they'll be benevolent to us because uh, it's not easy forking out that kind of money. And I'd hazard a guess. Not at all. It's a yeah, lot of money. I'd hazard a guess and say that. Looking at the price of Coldplay tickets and looking at the price of the Eagles last year in Dublin, I I would say for such a great venue, you're probably looking at €100 Euro to start with anyway. Oh, completely. Without yeah. a doubt, it yeah. will be €100. Euro. And like, you know, like I was thinking of an Airbnb when I had the issues last night, but then I thought an Airbnb will never guarantee me. They, should, they, could, they could switch any time. Yeah. There's no guarantees. The only guarantee you can stand over is a hotel. That's right, yeah. Or, you know, we could hire a boat, a gang of us hire a boat and just park on the river. <laughs> Bring sleeping bags with us. <laughs> and, you know, I have a better idea. Will you will you get a gang of people together and put us all in one room and when the tickets go on sale, we'll have 20 laptops up and we'll buy all the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only yeah. way you'll buy them. All right, we're bordering on frustration here now, but I love, I love your yeah, work. Yeah, we are. As John Malkovich said in, in Con Air, I love your work. <laughs> Thank you very Great much. Great to talk to you. How bad? That, that's how the way you have to operate. Oh, you have God, to get yeah. ahead. Yeah, no, that's the only way you'll succeed. That's for sure. Thanks, Margaret.
That's it. Not at all. God bless. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Okay. We all sit around with laptops and (laughs) decide to book out the entire hotel. Great thinking there. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, prices will be announced as soon as the dates are confirmed and hopefully we'll know that uh, tomorrow. What day is tomorrow? Friday. So I'd say they'll say yes tomorrow. They'll announce the dates officially and they'll say tickets will go on sale on probably Tuesday or Wednesday next week. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, we'll tell you more when we find out. Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ for the week. I uh, was just talking to Margaret there about uh, the prices of hotels, that hotels are already uh, block blocking booking for um, the Bruce Springsteen dates. Now, they haven't been confirmed, although they're 95% confirmed. We should know more, I would imagine, first thing tomorrow morning. So uh, make sure you're listening into Lorraine and Ross. They will have the news on that, I would imagine. Uh, now, she mentioned the Maryborough Hotel, which is a beautiful hotel. I've had the pleasure of staying in it on a number of occasions. And um, we, we were just breaking down the figures. Margaret said that she's, uh, she was being charged in excess of €1,000 for three nights. So uh, Wayne and myself just said, well, let's have a look at this now. So if you book on the 16th for one night, you get the room, uh, you and your partner. Uh, it also includes breakfast the following morning, and it comes in at... 362 euro which is pretty good for such a lovely hotel I have to say and I would think considering that it'll be one of the nights of the Springsteen concerts that's that's good value 362 uh, whether that goes up that remains to be seen um, interesting and we just checked uh, on the 9th of May now this is through booking.com on the 9th of May so that's exactly one week before the gig the room, which includes breakfast for two, is 218. So it's about 140 in the difference. But I would say the 16th for a Bruce Springsteen concert, 362 is pretty good value. Pretty darn good value. And also, if you've got to book the three nights, that's good value as well. Anyway, let me know what you think. Uh, you can give us a shout, 083 396 96 96, if you want to comment on that. More news on the Springsteen concerts very, very shortly. Now, um, I got a little uh, little email here yesterday that says, Gareth, I was walking in town last Tuesday and on one of the side streets just off South Mal, I saw these lads squatting down. I looked and they were taking lines of coke off his phone. I'm not easily shocked and I've seen many people take coca- cocaine in parties, even toilets, but on the street, I mean, come on. Uh, and I've got Aiden on the line right now. Hi, Aiden. Good morning, Gareth. Yeah, I was trying to picture that, Aidan, a couple of guys hunkering down over a few lines of, of cocaine, but on the, on the ground. Yeah, what it was, was I was after getting off the bus last Tuesday evening, it was actually quarter to twelve, and I was making my way to Oliver Plunkett Street, and I was using one of the uh, adjoining side streets to get onto Oliver Plunkett Street. And halfway down, I saw one guy just standing off the footpath, and one guy, he was actually crouched over, kneeling down. Um, now, this was in full view of a bar across the street. Obviously, I won't name the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, bar was st- the bar was still open, and there was people around. Um, and as I passed, I looked, and yeah, he was just taking a couple of lines of coke off the screen of his phone. And they found it the funniest thing ever. They weren't ashamed or weren't trying to hide it. Um, and as I passed, he said, Phew, thank God. He said, you weren't guard. You weren't a guard. Yeah. And just, you know, he said it jokingly. You know, yeah. it wasn't that I, I just frightened him. Age-wise, what would you say? I mean, I know age, uh, age doesn't matter these days. 
Um, I'd say late 20s to early 30s, uh, very well dressed. Um, they want, we say, like they wouldn't would be untoward or anything. Um, no, very well dressed, very seem very respectable uh, young men, and just not a care in the world in full view of anyone that was passing. And w- when they noticed you observing them, I, did, I take it you were just walking mm. by, yeah. You, they walking past you. Did they say anything else to you, or did they just pass the comment that they were glad you weren't a, a Garda? Just yeah, and, and laughed. And how were they dressed? Were they well dressed? Were they very well dressed? Yeah, very well dressed. As very I said, uh, they you know they didn't they weren't um, you know you if you had passed them without it you wouldn't have um, you wouldn't have been afraid of them. Right. Okay. Okay, Aidan. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for giving us a shout on that. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Uh, now. Um, uh, Louise sent us a little message on hotels and in relation to Margaret's comments on the Bruce Springsteen con- uh, concerts in May next year. Have a listen to this. Yeah, I was just listening to that lady there about the tickets for the Bruce Springsteen. Isn't it a disgrace that something good turns into something stressful when you're trying to book hotels and you know the price is going like the price of your monthly mortgage? It should be actually illegal. And the government, again, stand by the sidelines and watch all this going on and they don't actually care because they can afford a thousand euro, a nice hotel or whatever. And it's just so, so unfair. I think it's like about time that something's actually done about it. It should be like marked off at a certain price and then reported if we know that certain hotels are going over a set price. You know what I mean? Something should be done. Yeah, well, they're private businesses. That's the thing. Uh, they're entitled to set their own prices, and obviously, they want to make they, they want to make a killing on on big big concerts like this. Because when you consider that people will be heading for Cork, Cork will be the only place to be if you're a Springsteen fan uh, on those two, possibly three dates next May. But thanks anyway, Louise. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. I mentioned at the start of the show this morning that we received an email from a man, he's gay, he wishes to remain anonymous, but it's, um, I, I read through it a couple of times yesterday evening, uh, it's passionate, it's sad, uh, it's filled with many different emotions. This is a, a man who has grown up, knew very, very early on in his childhood that he was gay, and I'm not sure how old he is, I'm not sure where he comes from, but it uh, it makes for very insightful and poignant reading. It's a long email and we took the decision this morning to read it to you because I think in light of the books in the library in Patrick Street in town that uh, have been the subject of protests in recent months, uh, the views of people, should these books be available to young people, should they be available at all in the library? And uh, you'll see in a moment, I'm going to read this for you now, but uh, it, for me anyway, it casts a whole different light on the availability of such literature and I think it changes my mind possibly on how I felt a couple of months back. Um, Anyway, I'll read it to you. Gareth, I would prefer to remain anonymous for my own safety, although I'm aware, of course, that the length of the email and my words might lose impact. But here I want to outline why I support our LGBTQ plus young adults and their access to information. When I was growing up, I knew that I was different. What that difference was, I didn't truly know. I knew that I didn't gravitate towards boys and felt safer among girls. I preferred the more reasonable and sensitive nature that is culturally inherent to Irish women from a young age. 
It's weird, but now I understand it to have been about self-preservation. I remember comments being passed about me long before I knew who I was. When I was young, being gay was treated almost as though you were some sort of creature, a creature to be avoided if possible. Some concern was voiced for me by the local GAA coach that I did not join the sports team. It wasn't good for me, apparently, to not keep the company of boys and do boyish things. I don't think there was any harm in it. In his own way, he thought he was preparing me for the world and he was entirely kind. And while I was conscious of commentary about me, people trying to suss me out, it wasn't until my teenage years that the children of over-prying and judgmental parents did their worst. They tried to force me to meet girls in the capacity of kissing or becoming sexually involved with them. These bullies were people whom I didn't know and did not want to know. And you see, that whole thing, it was not about me. They knew what I was before I did, and they sought to exploit an awkward situation to humiliate me. There was no escaping from that at the time. Ireland was conservative, constricting and stifling enough to kill off many of the preceding generation of LGBTQ+. Chase off many more and place others in harmful situations. I was a walking target as a teenage boy. I neither had an interest in boys nor girls at the time. In fact, I had more interest in Star Trek and Star Wars. I would not develop an interest in men until I was nearly 18, so the entire idea of puberty and heterosexuality felt forced upon me by, by others. The hostility I received in school only deepened and seeded a deep anxiety within me, the kind that crippled me. It would make me freeze in situations where I felt outnumbered, outgunned and vilified. I remember a time in secondary school when in woodwork class a block of wood was thrown at my head. I'll never forget the pain. It hit me hard making a loud noise and I stood there at my bench swallowing the pain because I would never let anyone see my pain. In my mind I vowed to outlast them and I did outlast them. I had the most cruel questions flung at me, asking if I was a queer, a faggot, a frigid. Questions I couldn't answer, but apparently they could. It made me switch off from life, and I became anxious, depressed, embittered, and angry. I treated my friends and family in a way that was not ideal. Why? Because when you are the recipient of hate, you don't believe you deserve love. You create distance to hide your sensitivity and pain, and you almost accept it as a state of being. I craved the summer holidays when a summer job and time away from school would allow me to flourish into someone closely representative of who I was meant to be. Every day was a new torment. Some days I would sweat profusely from the anxiety of abuse, but I would not give in to it or them. To admit to being bullied was one thing, to admit to being bullied because you were gay was another. One day, while standing outside reception, one person decided to try to prove I was gay by playing footsie with my crotch. They were seated and outstretched their leg across the corridor and right up between my legs. The math class was through a narrow corridor where you couldn't stand two abreast. The bullying was met with laughter, but the invasion itself was met with silence and awkwardness. Suddenly it went from fun to something that was altogether over the line. No one stopped it, and I was frozen. It was interrupted only when the maths teacher arrived. He did not know what had just happened, nor did he know the sickening nature of it. It was not just that, but comments by strangers in mocking tones when they would refer to me as a girl. I was feminine, but I did not look female or present, uh, present as female. 
My biology teacher once marked my biology exam and stormed around the classroom in a temper over the results of the assignment. During his tantrum, he said, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're effing queer, and slammed my copybook on the table in front of me. I couldn't understand what drove such an outburst and why he timed it to be at my desk, but my vulnerability at that point made it impossible for me to fight back in any way. What you see is not only pupils, but also how the bigotry of teachers can hurt students. It was a very toxic world back then. The world changed and grew very quickly, and I grew in confidence along with it. It became better for people. I'm one of the lucky ones who survived the hostility, but my fear is that things are going full circle. Fearing that parents or friends might see me entering the the LGBTQ plus resource centres... I spent my time in a newsagent's on Patrick Street paying £1 for 10 minutes on the internet trying to find answers for questions that I had about myself but couldn't talk to my parents for fear of judgment. If I had a library that supported my development, if I had books to help me navigate the world I lived in, then how different things might have been. The guilt, the confusion, the feelings of being lesser, the feelings of shame, these would be things I would have understood and likely avoided. There's nothing wrong with growing up gay, censoring young adults' access to information that helps them navigate the world only serves to drive us to other resources, resources that might not be age-appropriate or adequate. The best way to fight ignorance is through information. Investing against the LGBTQ community, I see the same hate that severely hurt my childhood and young adult years. I see the same hate that has placed anxiety deep in my core, I see the same hate that puts me on the offensive for fear of being put in a position where I need to defend myself. I see the same hate that has cut short the lives of people I know. I see the same hate that has seen people leave this country. And I see the same hate making young queer people feel unsafe now. And it's because of that that I will not allow hate to destroy lives again. I will never allow hate to imprison the LGBTQ community in years of self-doubt. We have come too far for that. I should add that throughout my experiences, while I might not have shared all of them with family, that once I came out, my family grew as I did and learned to love the most authentic version of me. We all grew in love, acceptance and understanding. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm all right, but do better for those coming up. Which is, we must defend our young adults. Gay, LGBTQ+, however you want to put it, we need to defend them. Their access to information. We need to defend our librarians who do their jobs now in fear of being called groomers and paedophiles. If we are not striving to better the world, then we leave it stagnate in the anger of those who would make it worse. I don't give hateful people my tears because I don't owe them my pain. I don't give them anything. I'm now what I couldn't be then. And in spite of my journey, I survived a time in my life where I could have thrived. I regret all that could have been, but remain hopeful for all that still can be. All the best, a friend of the show. Uh, we just felt it was important to read this letter, um, and uh, we've had a quite a, uh, an outpouring um, of reactions to it. We'll bring you some of those. Very long letter, but um, a life story really encapsulated in maybe four or five pages. And uh, everything in there, every form of emotion, every reaction, bringing back memories, um, not just to those individuals who felt at that stage in their childhood that they were gay and couldn't come to terms with it, couldn't bring it out into the public, couldn't tell people how they were feeling. But I think also for 
um, straight people, if that's the right uh, expression, who would have been dealing with different emotions as well. When you look back at the, the, it, was a different culture. But I think one thing that this individual is talking about here is, is that his, his fear is that it's going to go full circle. Uh, if we suppress and censor the available information and the material, perhaps in public libraries, that is available to people who, like him when he was a young man, uh, was struggling to come to terms with, and it would have been great to have material like that to have access to. Now, busy programme this morning, that's for sure. 083-396-9696. If you have family members in... Uh, Belguli Nursing Home. We have just received a press release from Mr. Joe Faulkner, who's the Director of Nursing at the Home. And I'm going to read it to you. Following a full independent review of its business, Apery Living has made the decision, the difficult decision, to wind down operations at our Belguli Nursing Home. We're writing to you today as this is the Apery facility where we care for your loved one. Apery Living... Uh, that's A-P-E-R-E-E. Apery Living has today informed HICWA of its decision to cease operations at this location within six months. There's no action required immediately and the care of your loved one will not be affected in the short to medium term. During this time frame, Apery Living will continue to provide care on site while working closely with you and your loved one to find suitable alternative accommodation to meet their needs. Apery Living will also work closely with Nursing Homes Ireland and other providers in the area to ensure ensure that the disruption to the lives of our residents is kept to a minimum. The review found that there was uncertainty as to the long-term viability of the home in Belgooley, along with infrastructure shortcomings at the property. This decision, while regrettable, is part of a commercial and strategic programme to ensure that Apery Living Group continues on a sustainable footing. We appreciate that this news may be distressing, but please be assured that we have processes in place that will ensure a smooth transition from one provider to another. Apery Living is committed to updating you at regular intervals and a member of our team will be in direct contact with you shortly to discuss this announcement. If you would like... Or if you would prefer to contact us before then, you could email Joe Faulkner. And that's uh, from Mr. Joe Faulkner, who's Director of Nursing at uh, Belgooley Nursing Home. Now, you're listening to the Opinion Line here on Cork's 96FM. It's Gareth O'Callaghan with you through till 12 midday. We'll bring you some of the reactions to some of the items we were covering earlier shortly. Now, I'm a hoarder. That's uh, that's uh, my uh, big honesty statement this morning. I keep everything. Stuff I don't need, stuff I don't read, stuff I think I'll get around to keeping and using and reading and, and referring back to. And it's all just lying there. Piles and piles and piles of it in what I used to call an office, which is now my messy room. And as a result of becoming a messy room, everyone else at home seems to think that they're perfectly entitled to dump all their own messy stuff in there as well. So, not just have you a drawer or a, a, a cabinet door that when you open, everything falls out, but you actually have to push in the door of this room to even gain access to it. And then it becomes a little bit like the upside down and Stranger Things. You can just disappear and have to be uh, rescued from the room if anyone can hear you. But this is astonishing. I was drawn to this the minute I saw it. Over half of British people who took part in a survey recently have a messy drawer. In other words, they hide junk in this messy drawer at home. And let's face it, we're probably all guilty of shoving something into a cupboard drawer, assuming that we'll need it again at some point. So while you might have a packet of sellotape, we have about 10 half-used sellotape rolls in the drawer. Uh, 
about 15 takeaway leaflets, old batteries, uh, bits of tool kits that never went back into the actual kit. And um, you just leave them there because you think, oh, I'll get round to it someday. Anne-Marie Kingston runs White Sage Decluttering and she joins me now. Good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Good morning, Gareth, and to your listeners this morning. Thank you. What would you make of my room? <laughs> and you know what? You're not alone, Gareth, because I think everyone has that one dumping area that everything, it kind of just, everyone is drawn to it and it becomes the dumping room. And it starts, as I keep saying, as a very small seed. So, you know, like life is busy, you know, there's kids going here, there and everywhere, and we just don't have the time for it. But with decluttering, unfortunately, you have to make some kind of a conscious decision and say, do you know what, we need to tackle it. Mm. Because otherwise, it'll, this small seed will keep growing and it'll just explode. And then it's like, that's where the overwhelm comes in. And then we don't know where to tackle it. You know, I'm all about you know, utilising our existing storage to our maximum in our homes because, you know, you'll be surprised the amount of people, Gareth, that think they don't have enough storage. There is plenty. And mm. for your listeners, they're probably saying, oh, we've no storage. We have, there is plenty storage in, every, in everyone's um, home. It's just to utilise it. But we have too much stuff. That's the other side of the coin. There is too much stuff and we're not getting rid of it. So like, as you mentioned there, say like with the takeaway, you know, um, flyers, the bits and pieces, the old batteries, different things like that, you know, get him out of the house. Yeah. You know, if they're gone, take him, have a place for your batteries, like in the utility for your batteries that are gone and take them to the recycling centre on a regular basis. I found uh, in one of the drawers, and we have more than one messy drawer, uh, I found foreign currency from a trip to New York about four years ago, dollar bills and things like that. And, okay, you think, God, they'll they'll come in handy again. But all you do is you just close the drawer, don't you? You close the door. And, like, you know, again, unless you're travelling on a regular basis, you know, maybe passing on someone, and you see, obviously, the coins can't be cashed in. So, like... I'm very lucky here where I'm based in Clan Kilty in our local post office uh, here in Clan. They have a big drum inside um, inside in the um, office itself and where I, they take actually foreign currencies, foreign money, foreign currencies and they'll melt down those coins again back into currency. You know, I always say there's a place for everything for our clutter and like I suppose to backtrack, Gareth, clutter is items that we have not used in the last 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll have the exceptions like, you know, funeral clothes, different bits and pieces. But the majority of the stuff, we don't use it. And that was a huge thing for me with COVID. You know, items go out into the shed, they go up into the attic, they'll be handy sometime. But when? Mm-hmm. When are we going to use them? You know, the only thing that comes out of the attic is the Christmas trees um, and the decorations. You know, we what people are doing is they're moving their clutter around the house and that is they're procrastinating it they're procrastinating saying okay is it staying or going am i actually using it do i love it yeah and it's really important you know we have to be a small bit ruthless with it because what happens is the clutter is going to take control of our homes yeah and it affects our productivity it affects our mental health big time it affects our concentration. It affects um, the people who are living in the home, our family members. You know, I've gone into, you know, I've spoken to so many people and they wouldn't even go into certain homes because it actually gives, gives them anxiety <laughs> if they go in there. You know, so, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, it is very topical and it's really important that we do, I suppose, take action with it, Garrett, to be quite honest. Mm. And I suppose you reach a stage where you don't want people to come into your home either. 
That's it. And that's what happens. You see, it happens for, you know, clutter happens for different reasons. You know, it could be just a busy mom trying to keep the balls in the air, you know, between taxi services, dropping here, there, running maybe a business uh, like myself, um, you know, working part time, full time, you know, maybe a full time mom at home. There could be sickness in the house. There could be a debt um, in the house, you know, divorce, separation. Clutter happens for different reasons. Mm. And then we start, unfortunately, we want the happy hormones released into our body. Uh, and that is done by when we hand over our card or hand over cash and we add something to that cart and we're like, oh, that feels good. And then if something's delivered and then we're like, oh, my God, what did I buy that for? You know, and that's where there's a lot of mistake buys and there's emotional buying too with it. And, you know, that's covering up for something else that's going on in our lives as well. Yeah. I'm looking at the average drawer's contents. Uh, you've got yeah. two. Uh, this is the average drawer now. You've two redundant tablets. Um, yeah. When you say tablets, do you mean medical tablets? Or tablets? I'd say it is um, iPads. Oh, iPads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would think. Because uh, I've found a couple of um, half half uh, empty bottles of, of pills there in, in one drawer recently. Uh, th- oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, three old smartphones, six screws, yeah. five empty batteries, five mm-hmm. hairbands and grips, and an average of five out-of-date takeaway leaflets, according to the poll. And also that the average yep. messy drawer has an average of three broken watches, three rolls of sellotape, and the same number of blue tack packets. You can never find blue tack yeah. when you need it. Isn't that the case? That's true. And it's dedicating, and that's what I, I suppose what I do is, you know, it's, you know, handling everything, utilizing your storage, as I said, to the maximum, but having a home for everything. So, like, and using everything instead of, you know, buying it's like me here my kids probably give out to me but you know like if the sellotape I only buy sellotape unless the other one is gone right. that's I suppose the way my, my brain works um, while a lot of people I've gone into homes and there could be 300 cent or you know soap pumps and there could be you know 20 bags of pasta use what you have first mm. and then if it really does bring it down to nothing and then that's where you restock again when use you, everything yeah when you go into declutter Anne-Marie uh, do you find that mm-hmm. the 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 occupants run out of the house while you're there? No, God, no, they don't. Because I... <laughs> no. I would. Because it's, you would not. No. And I, you're in safe hands with me, Gareth, honest to God. No, it's so just like, I'd be embarrassed by the fact that I have a half a, have a good hunch about what you're going to find in there. Um, and it's yeah. stuff that's just been, as you say, dumped there. That's just half of it's never been used. Other stuff yeah. should have been thrown out. Um, yes, I would have thought people would say, um, lovely to see Amory. we'll be back in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and what I do, like, I go in for six hours full decluttering. So, like, wow. I'm there from 10 until 4.30, so there's no getting away from me or no avoiding me. And, like, you know, I work with the lady of the house, as I always say, my client, and we work as a team. Like we handle every single item because that's what people do. They kind of, they don't know how to start. They're so overwhelmed. They're so embarrassed. And again, I don't judge anyone, Gareth, when it comes to clutter because it has happened for a reason, you know. Um, and I've been decluttering life for last, you know, set up my business six years ago. I've been decluttering for, from a very young age, to be quite honest, um, for the last 30 plus years, you know, because we all have clutter, even the professional declutter, but it's getting into the habit. It's like, you know, take your vitamins in the morning, you know, whatever you do in the morning, but start to declutter on a regular basis. What people are doing is they're leaving kind of build up or there's a party coming or there's a gathering or holy communion or something happening. And then it's like, oh, feck it. You know, things we're going to pass here. We need to clear it out. People need to, like, get the recycling out on a regular basis. Go to the, you know, the charity shop with the clothes that don't fit the kids anymore. 
on a regular basis. You know, I'd always say once you've anything gathered, it should be out the door within 12 to 24 hours mm. max. And I would imagine you can make um, you can make a nice little amount of money out of some of the stuff you, you didn't really re- realise that you'd put away. Absolutely. And I'd always say, you know, to clients and even on my over my Facebook page, you know, if selling is your thing, you know, um, get, like Facebook is fantastic marketplace. I remember there was numerous years ago, there was uh, two Christmases on a row and I did not have to put my hand in my pocket for Christmas. You know, there was kids toys that they had outgrown. There was clothes. There was different bits and pieces I picked up, you know, um, you know, hampers people gave me and I wouldn't use them really and truly. And I said, you know I'm going to pass them on. Um, and it's great to get money back because it helps definitely, Gareth, um, with um, letting go and the guilt side of it. Because there's a lot of guilt. You know, someone gave me that. Every single thing in our house has a connection. Mm. It has, you know, a connection with someone, a loved one. You know, I remember who, who I bought that dress with. I wore that at a certain wedding or for an interview. Everything has a memory and a connection to it. So that's why we've, we find it very hard to let go. Um, and going back to your earlier question, like, you know, my clients who contact me, they're ready to let go. They want that transformation. They want to transform their home. They want to be more present with their family, improve their sleep. You know, clutter affects so much. Yeah. So much um, in general. It's unreal. It's great to talk to you, Amory. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gareth, for having me. Thank you. That's Anne-Marie Kingston. That's fascinating, isn't it? She runs White Sage Decluttering. If you can't do the job yourself, and let's face it, many of us don't, just don't have the heart to throw out stuff that we think we still love, but we need to make room. Uh, uh, White Sage Decluttering, if you want more information on it. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Coogan's 96 FM. Now, voting in Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards has closed. We're now counting all your votes, and the final event takes place August 9th when we'll reveal all the winners. So stay listening and follow our social pages to find out if your favourite nomination wins. The Best of Cork Awards 2023 on Cork's 96FM. Now, as we were talking about earlier this morning, we were talking to Elaine Dunn, Chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers, who also runs her own uh, childhood crash service, and also to Donna, who was talking about the worst nightmare that she's now living through in terms of uh, her own child's health, uh, welfare, and when it comes to going to crash and preschool facilities because the provider is closing. And uh, she's absolutely terrified that she's going to have to give up her job. Uh, she has been put on a waiting list on a number of other crashes, but they've also told her that she's probably at the very bottom of a three-year waiting list if she wanted to get in there. Uh, Fanula says, I'm a single mother of two, one in college, one starting sixth year. I'm working part-time as an SNA living paycheck to paycheck. I don't get any assistance from the government and I applied for the back-to-school closing allowance, but was not granted it as I'm not getting a payment from the government even though my wages are under the cut-off. But I still think the crested uniform is the best option for schools as all the kids are the same going into school and I don't have to fork up for new clothes every few weeks due to peer pressure. Uh, Mary joins me on the line. Morning, Mary. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? I'm fine. Um, tell me about the situation you find yourself in. What are your views on what we've been talking about? You no, know, I was just listening to the crash um, discussion earlier this morning. Mm. Now I'm well out of that zone myself, but... Um, just, I really just think that this is something, you know, 
it needs to be dealt with again. Like they're saying, they're all saying it on a national level. We know we have women in the workforce. We, you know, women like, you know, in the natural world, like we need women to have children. We need mm-hmm. population. We need everything. Um, you know, that's, we need that as a society. It's not something that is a surprise to anybody yeah. that if a mother is out working, that pair, that the children need to be looked after. But I do think it should be, you know, the people looking after these children, they should be state workers the same as teachers, the same as nurses. They're mm-hmm. doing kind of a combination of both those roles. Most of them at this stage are college educated to the same level as teachers. They're all, you know, the early childhood studies or whatever in UCC is a degree course. It's, you know, points the same as every other course. And, you know, they are qualified to that level, mm. to degree level. So why, are, you know, they should have security of a state job because they're providing a service to the state. And so, why so can't we is, go down that route? It you makes know perfect I mean? sense. And I agree with, totally yeah. with you because, you know, if, if you could find... Um, now, I know that the, the, every school principal in the country is saying, I need more space. We need to build on an extra wing. We need more classrooms. We need yeah. more teachers. But if it could be adopted, it would be perfect to have a pre-primary level, wouldn't it? Where, Absolutely. And possibly... And, you know, Possibly find a location in the school to facilitate the younger children so that the move from preschool into primary school you know, is pretty effortless. Yes. And like the only, I suppose the only point to that, like I suppose now I think most, there's basically, I think there is basically paid maternity leave nearly for first. You know, the days mm. of people, children going into creches when they were three months old are well and truly gone. Yeah. I, I think at this stage, you know what I mean? Most children would be older when they're, going back, going into a, a crash environment than would have been way back in the day when this kind of started. But again, you know, I think that the workers who are in this area, they're being forced out of it, like kind of thing. I know a lot of people who are doing these early childhood courses, whatever, do them as a stepping school to try and get international school teaching or maybe nursing or something like that. You know, they're seen as a stepping stone rather than a career in themselves. And they might be quite happy to stay in this role. And it must be one of the most rewarding and lovely jobs, you know what I mean, to, if, if you know what I mean, you you love children and things like that, like it must be one of the most rewarding jobs to be in, to be looking after small children, seeing them walking, talk. You know, they do so much development in mm. such a short space of time. But, you know, obviously the hours are going to be longer than the teacher's hours. You know, the holidays won't be same but again it would be as I say like a combination between nursing and teaching you know they have that level of qualification we have the need for that level of staff you know what I mean looking and just do it like kind of thing and you know the facilities are there like whatever about like most primary schools are only they close at half as two you know what I mean so like you know what I mean the school is completely empty then for those few hours so like kind of thing the pressure points I suppose are for quite a short period during the day between the school holidays and the creche would obviously still be open and things like that so but you know bring it all under the management of proper you know when there isn't one person organising their little creche and another person you know bring it under 
an umbrella system, I suppose. Yeah. Now, I know that doesn't always work either, but like it has to be better than what's there. And owners, you know what I mean, get, you know, between parking and drop off mm. and collections and their own staff issues. You know what I mean? They, yeah. it, it makes perfect sense. It really yeah. does. And, uh, you know, you, you don't, I, I don't think we'd have to argue it much more than you're already doing because it, it's like it's patently clear that it makes sense that to have yes. a pre-primary level of, of instruction and care would be the, the solution to this and then for the Department of Education to take the whole thing over themselves I agree with you totally. Mary yeah. th- thanks for okay. talking to us. Lovely okay. to talk to no you. No problem. You. Bye now. Bye. Thanks a lot. We were talking about school uniforms uh, and the issues surrounding the uniforms every year for parents. Mick says, Gareth, every time I hear about school uniforms, I wonder would we be having a different conversation if teachers also had to wear uniforms? Maybe even civil servants working for the Department of Education too. I mean, air crew have to, guardy have to, Tesco workers have to. What is so special about teachers and civil servants? They should lead by example. That's an interesting take on it, Mick. I never thought about that. It would solve a lot of problems as well, I think, because particularly if you have enough on your plate trying to get up and get into a classroom full of kids every day, you you don't have to sort of sort out the night before what sort of colours you're going to match against your blouse or your pullover or your jeans. Anyway, cheers, Mick. Thank you. 083-396-96-96-96 is uh, our number if you want to give us a shout. Now, in the Formoy area, there's no South Dock service out of our service from 10pm to 6am in the morning. Those of you living there might be aware of that, but those who do not may not. The nearest branch now is Mallow. It's a very big area, so Mallow, Middleton and Cork are the options. Esther's joining me right now. Morning to you, Esther. Good morning, Gareth. Um, this is, it, it's frightening because it's always at night time when things go wrong, isn't it? When you get pains and, yes. you know, you, you, you can have falls in the darkness and that. The last thing you want to do is go to the hospital. So South Dock, obviously, is the one to call. Definitely, yeah. It's very serious and frightening in the area at the moment. And um, when, when did it stop? It stopped now, I'd say it's two weeks, two weeks ago it stopped and uh, Tuesday night just stopped at 10 o'clock, that was it. Um, it's closed two weeks now, 10 o'clock at night, overnight, there's no doctor in for my. So have you heard of anybody in your area who has had to call the South Dock and Mallow? Yes, I have. <clears throat> I have heard people that had to call South Dock and Mallow, yeah. So the only option was that we had to go to Mallow. Or if they deteriorated over the night, that the doctor would come to them. So the doctor would come to Mitchellstown or wherever the patient is. So they have to leave Mellow and come to Mitchellstown and then drive back. So what happens to the patients in Mellow while the care has gone out and the doctor on call? It just seems crazy. Mm. And did they, did they um, did South Dock give any reason for this? I presume it's staffing levels, isn't it? Um, the reasons they're giving is that there is no changes in the with South Dock that you can still see a doctor and the doctor on call will come to see you. But what we are getting at is people have to get up in the middle of the night and drive maybe 40 miles to Mellow. Mm. You know, people that have no cares, older people that have no cares that are relying maybe on a neighbour to bring them. Yeah. It was only 10 minutes down the road. Now it's, you have to ask someone to take you 
40 miles maybe down the road from the furthest away point from Mellow or Middleton. And as you, you know, say, there elderly, elderly people who may be living on their own. Uh, you have Difficult. young parents with very young children, and as we young all know, children. young children can get sick in the space of a couple of seconds. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And if you have a young child, you know, there in the middle of the night with a very high temperature, you're ringing. You might be waiting two or three hours now to see a G- see a doctor after hours, and then you have to get into a car and travel maybe another hour with mm. a child maybe very sick in the back of the car getting sick. It's just, it's just crazy. Now you're, and it's of, very, very worrying. Oh God, I can imagine. It is really and, the and, elderly it, people like are yeah. very, very. They've no, they've no place to ring in the middle, and it is the middle of the night. People are more afraid. Do you know when you go to yeah. bed at night, you, it's the most frightening part of the day or night. Do you know? Well, it is, and particularly it's, if you're living, if you're not living in the town, if you're living in one of the the rural parts of North Cork, there. I mean. Uh, you you're really stumped for for support. Um, your neighbours yeah. may, may not be right next door, um, and uh, you know, and, and the way things are going now, particularly in rural areas, people who are moving into the area, buying some of the houses, you may not know who your neighbours are. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and you're under people will be under compliment. To, you know, to drive them so far at night, people don't like asking. Mm. Do you know why I myself wouldn't like to ask someone to drive me 40 miles to, do you know, in the middle of the night? That's true, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. I mean, obviously you've got to walk to the the, the house next door. If, if they hear yeah. you knocking or if they're, as you say, prepared to actually bring you to South Dock. Yeah, no, it is, it is very scary for yeah. the people with no cares or people, elderly people, people with children. Now, I know a, so, ca- a campaign of petitions and vigils has been going on over the past few weeks. Um, can you tell me a little bit more yeah. about that? Um, yeah, we had, uh, we had two days of petitions. in. Uh, we were in Mitchellstown for my, and we have a lot of petition books going into local businesses and factories, nursing homes around, and there's a great response. Everybody, everybody is behind us. Do you know, everybody yeah. know how serious it is. Yeah. Oh, God, without a doubt. I mean, it is very, very, very serious when you take in the, the townlands there. I mean, it's it's a, it's a a beautiful part of the county, but it's a sprawling location as well. It's it, very difficult to get to It houses. is very, yeah. very remote, yeah, mm. parts. So but I know you have an update on there's a protest in Mitchellstown, isn't there? Yeah, we're having a protest in Mitchellstown on Saturday morning um, at Heps 12 from the library that's okay. out to Clamell Road and we're going up as far as the square. Okay. And I know there's a busking festival and independence is on in Mitchellstown, but we kind of had no other day because we're hoping to go back to South Dock headquarters next week with the petition books and we kind of wanted to get this protest out before we go back. As soon as you can, yeah, obviously. Okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. Esther, we'll look forward, maybe on Tuesday you'll let us know... Um, how it goes, and we'll give it a mention again tomorrow as well. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Thank you very much, Gareth. Thanks, Esther. Thank Take you. care of yourself. Esther Fitzgerald, one of the campaigners, uh, trying to reinstate the South Dock service there in Fermoy. Um, and I remember from years and years ago when you're heading out what was the old N8 and you go north of Fermoy, and then if you want to go to Mallow, you go to all, all the way down that... Um, pretty remote road. It's a long road and in bad weather it can be a dangerous road as well. So we'll bring you up to date on that 
uh, on Tuesday following that protests. It's a, 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 a protest in Ma- Mitchellstown on Saturday, assembling at 12.30 by the library to the square. Also, there's a lot of petition books in the area if you can get hold of one. Uh, but also remember that there's a lot of musical activity going on in the town over the weekend as well. Now, uh, if we can, we get round to some of the messages and uh, some of the reactions and texts very, very shortly. Douglas Now, the popular Facebook page, is mounting a campaign to get a mural of a famous onto a famous Douglam, Douglas landmark, and it's attracted several supporters, including Keith Anderson, who did that wonderful Guggenbara mural feature in the Echo. And Keith joins me now. How are you doing, Keith? I'm very good, Gareth. Yourself? Great, thank you. I've seen your work, and I think it's fantastic. It's 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 beautiful, um, particularly that gorgeous Gugan Barra mural. It's talked about far and wide. Well, I very much appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't realise the uh, the reach it was going to have when I did it. You know, the yeah. power of social media, I suppose. Oh, completely. And you know, then you get the Yanks and the Canadians and the, the Germans coming by as well, and they're just totally taken by it. Tell us a little bit about... Well, I've been... Yeah, go ahead, Keith, yeah. I've, I've, I've been told on um, good authority that um, there's people all over America have seen it. There's people have sent it to relations that are from Guggenbara and stuff like that, so that's that, that's a nice touch. Mm. Tell us about the Douglas Landmark for anyone who doesn't already know about it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty new to this whole thing myself, Gareth. I was kind of only put into the, the loop of it yesterday. I found out there was people tagging me in the post, so I read it and by all accounts, a guy called uh, Todd O'Sullivan from Douglas, he uh, put up a put up a post about the uh, just the, how kind of I wouldn't say derelict, but it's just how it, it's bland and it's kind of run down looking. And uh, there was people just tagging me in it, suggesting maybe a mural would be nice on it. So you know, I'm pretty new to the to the whole idea of it myself. Yeah, it's on Church Road. For those who don't know, um, correct? Yeah, it, it's a uh, it's kind of a shortcut. Uh, well, not that it's a shortcut because the traffic can get very heavy on it. But it's it's where only uh, one lane of traffic can pass through it at once. It's quite a narrow uh, v- sort of viaduct under the bridge, and it's not it, too far from. Am I thinking Douglas East? I think would probably be the, the, the yeah. The and uh, buses can't go under it either. By the way, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people will still have the photograph of the two twenty stuck under the bridge there from a couple. Yeah, of, um, yeah, yeah. Th- it was the two twenty bus back in twenty twenty. When the bus driver tried to drive under it, right. discovered that it was slightly too... Um, I say he still hasn't lived it down. Too low. <laughs> That's right. And, <laughs> and some other people will remember um, for, remember it for the MTV logo that was there for a long, long number of years. And, and you see the thing, and the thing about it is um, I grew up in the 90s. I went to secondary school in the 90s. I think I finished up in 95. So I would have been part of that um, of that kind of tagging scene. You know, we all had our Posca markers and we'd go under bridges and stuff like that. I'm allowed to say it now because I'm too old to get caught for it. But <laughs> I, I, I remember distinctly the MTV logo on it as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm just looking at a recent picture of it. There's still a few little um, little graffiti comments there as well. So, like, if if you were to put, if you were put, you know, put this to you, what sort of work would you envisage would be ideal for this? Okay, you there? We so it's, oh, you th- sorry, it's, 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 fine, it's very basic, straightforward. It's it, yeah. Can you hear me? I can. If you just turn around there, just maybe move a few steps. You just uh, you're in and out. Give us it again there. Can you hear me now? Yeah, that's okay. Go ahead, Keith. Yeah. Um, well, what I do is very basic and straightforward. You know, I, um, 
I, I, I come up with a concept or an idea based on a client or a customer's uh, request. So for me, it's not, a, see, art is so subjective and, and it's very personal. So what I might like and, and think looks like a great design, the person next door might have the complete opposite idea. Mm. So I wouldn't go in instigating what should or shouldn't be done. I think it's a kind of, it's an open forum. It should be a collective idea. It's not for me to kind of say, this is what has to be done. I'm very open like that. You know, I work with whatever spec I'm given kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. So, what what would you think would would be best suited? If um... oh, oh well, I, you know, you don't so, so okay for for the area. You don't want something loud and brash. You know, it's so it can be quite subtle and effective at the same time. Um, to be honest with you, I I, I don't want to give anything off the cuff like that because I'd have to sit down and have a look at it and have a good idea. But maybe even a continuation of the floral and foliage, you know, that's in the area, um, spruce it up with the, like greens of trees. I, I'm, I'm really, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to sit down and have a good think about it. Okay. And how long would it take? Well, I suppose how long is a piece of string really as well, well isn't it? Exactly. Exactly, my man. You see, this is... When, when you get inquiries or you get people asking about things like this, because they're so unique and one-off pieces, there is no set time for these kind of things. I very much kind of do it on the fly, you know. I, it, I, it's a very kind of organic uh, process where I just, I, I start, I have an idea in mind, but by the time I've finished, the, the whole thing has changed completely from what you originally thought you might end up with. And so it's very hard to put time on that. But you are talking in the region of anything from 50 to 100 hours. Yeah. Could you, do, could you envisage it being some... Uh, bus related considering the 220 will always be remembered <laughs> would you believe I, I? it was the very first thought that came into my mind but that's only because I'm a bit of a blackguard I've been coming up with ideas like that but I don't know would that be everyone's cup of tea right maybe a bit about um, did you go to Douglas Com I certainly did maybe something something connected to Douglas Com maybe like, I mean you know there's a there's a deep history of Douglas and I'm sure there's a lot more knowledgeable people than me out there that will hear this and they'd have their ideas as well. That's where, you know, that's where it kind of spawns from. It starts with an idea and it spreads out, you know, so what you initially start with, you you, you know, by the time it's been spread around or people talk about it, you, you'll come up with a good concept regardless, yeah. Yeah, okay, well I think maybe listeners can suggest ideas for it, so if you have ideas for it you can either, um, you can email us opinion at 96fm.ie or you can text us or WhatsApp us 83 uh, Are you engaged in any big uh, undertaking or work of art at the moment? I'm never not painting, Gareth. I'm yeah. never not. I eat, breathe and sleep with it. I'm beyond passionate. I don't even have the words to explain to you just how much I love it. I adore it. Constantly learning, constantly improving. Um, I, I never, I, I, every day of the week, it's all I do. Great. Well, we love it too. Thanks, Keith. Take care. and uh, Thank you very much. I mo very much appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. A couple of people saying pop stars uh, that would have been familiar on M MTV back in the 80s. Uh, I think that mural is probably, the, the MTV would date back to about 1985, I think. Elton John, Madonna, um, and somebody just said, would love to see a little bit of the heritage of the knowledge of Douglas in whatever Keith comes up with, and maybe a bit about the schools in the area. But quite a few of you are saying, uh, we'd all love to have the 220 bus <laughs> muraled on the wall forevermore. By the way, uh, Keith's outstanding work, and this is in relation to uh, the giant mural of that iconic Cork beauty spot. Um, it's painted on, on a garden wall, actually. And it's originally... Um, Based on, the, this is uh, St. Finbar's um, 
uh, the, the little church there, beautiful, famous spiritual landmark, the Oratory, and uh, it's uh, draped by the mountains of Gugambara in the background. So thanks for that, Keith. Uh, I would imagine we'll get a, a good bit of reaction on that. So um, the bridge is known locally as the Bowow, Ian says. Uh, so that, that's Ian, the, the Bowow. Okay, so who knows? Maybe dog-related. Anyway. Oh, yes. Somebody's saying, where is the mural? We'd love to see it. We'd, we've never seen it before. Friars Walk. And it's got to count as one of the most unusual works of art in Cork City. It has embraced various forms in recent years and it's fast gaining a reputation for all sorts of colourful murals, for graffiti, for other types of artwork. So it'll be interesting. That's in Douglas there on Church Road. Uh, The difference here is that this one is in a private setting rather than uh, a public arena. Okay. Now, uh, that's almost it. Thank you so much. We've had a lot of comments in relation to so many topics and we covered quite a lot this morning. Uh, We were talking yesterday about a boil water notice. Listener says, I called to an elderly neighbour yesterday and she knew nothing about the boiled water notice. She's not on social media and there has been very little elsewhere about it, though I just heard it on the news now. Could you ask people to make sure elderly neighbours know about it? It's a disgrace the way the public have to find out all the information themselves. Areas affected are Glunthorn, Glanmire, Little Island, Carrigtool. Meanwhile, people have been contacting us asking if Cove is included in the boil water notice. The official word is the boil water notice does not affect Cove. Okay, does not. In anticipation of the planned industrial action, it was possible to reconfigure the, ne- the network there to remove Cove from the Glashaboy water supply scheme. That's the latest we have on that. Lots more about concert tickets and also about creches. We'll come back to that tomorrow. Thank you for your company uh, this morning. I hope you have a wonderful day. If you want to get in touch with us outside of the show, you can, of course, contact us by email. And the email address is opinion at 96fm.ie. That's it. We're back tomorrow at 9.